a pool of blood caked in flies and that buzzing and then that putrid smell of defecation. And I'm not going to put that in my mouth. Dark beers. Oh, dark. I love dark beers. That's my passion. Makeup, guitar, and dark beers. That sounds like a pretty good <laughs> trinity of things to enjoy. <laughs> Do you make your own blood or do you buy other people's? Uh, personally, I just buy other people's because they make it much better than I could. <laughs> I did. I have made blood in the past. Um, and it's one of those things that it actually takes quite a lot of effort to make it well and consistent. And it depends whether or not you're making it for a thing that you need it for or if you're making it because you intend to sell it. Because if you intend to sell it, you've obviously got to be consistent with your batches and you've got to make sure that the thing you're making doesn't stain costume that may have been hired you know, wigs that may have been hired and you don't want to be the guy yeah. that's got to go to wardrobe. I don't want that responsibility. No, exactly. So so it seems like a nice thing to circumvent by saying, oh, I'm just going to research my own. But you kind of don't want to reinvent the wheel. And I mean that sincerely. There are people out there that have spent a lot of time trying to figure this stuff out. And whatever, you know, good ideas you think you might have over the course of a couple of weeks, there are people that have spent years <laughs> doing this. And you're not likely to be better than them at it. So it's kind of like, do you really want to do that? <laughs> you know. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've got to put a dollar value in your time, and uh, you know you might go, "Ooh, carrots." I mean, it's like the the analogy I would use is, "I know how to make a sandwich," but that doesn't mean I'm putting Subway out of business. You know, because the, right. their business doesn't revolve around the secret of sandwich making. That's not what makes them who they are. You know? And you wind up making a liter of blood, and it's if somebody wants to buy it. Well. The amount of time and ingredients I got into this perfect blood that I made myself. This is a 300 pound liter. Exactly. And I was going to pay for it. And it's like, well, there you go. It's a lot more work to it than you think. And um, a lot of it's just, you know, it's doing it consistently as well and and having a process that you can repeat again and again over multiple batches. And it's it's a lot of work. So it's, it's not my thing. The amount of blood I use, you know, if I'm pumping it for a gag, I'll just buy it. Because that's the easiest way of doing it for me. And if you want to yeah. make your own blood, I, I'm not saying don't try and make your own blood. I'm just saying have a very realistic idea about what making your own blood involves. Because and there are plenty of recipes out there. There are plenty of recipes, um, just like there are plenty of recipes of sandwiches. But you can make the world's best sandwich. But whether or not you're going to be able to pay your bills every day for the next for the rest of your life based on that knowledge is a completely different matter. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had lunch yet. Now I'm hungry. For blood? Talk about you talk about sandwiches. Speaking of blood, do you like blood pudding? No, the whole black pudding thing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Was that developed on a some kind of dare? I think it must have been. There are some. There are a few foods that we have. Uh, that, like kedgeri is another one. Like like curried fish and rice for breakfast. It's like what? How blood how? pudding was like eating a scab. Yeah, yeah it was gross. A, yeah, it, it sounds like the kind of thing that a butcher or a slaughterhouse would have an excess of stuff and they're like how can we sell this shit to people <laughs> we need to make money we're throwing this stuff in the bin maybe there's a way we can make money out of this by making it into a thing and then some fool will go oh it's delicious it's kind of like the whole marmite thing i don't know if you have that over there like marmite vegemite like a yeast like a black yeah yeast i know yeah kind of spread and it's like a byproduct of the 
you know, the brewing industry. It's it, it's the shit they throw out after they brewed the beer. And, it, you know, it's processed and turned into a spread. And I personally quite like it. But the minute I found that out, I kind of felt aggrieved that I developed. A Put sugar in it. They'll love it. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want to eat that. Yeah, no, there are a lot of things that once I found out what they were, so I'm not going to put that in my mouth. <laughs> I'm totally going to use that as the quote to start. <laughs> <laughs> you ever had tripe? <laughs> no, because that looks utterly foul. It I probably just, tastes just as bad as it looks. I think it would. And even if it tasted nice... I my life won't be ruined by not eating it. I think I, I could avoid. No. It. Yeah. Mm, look, a plate full of anuses. <laughs> well, I heard. What was it? The um, you know, uh, the the whole squid thing. The um, the calamari rings. I heard someone was telling me about this that uh, it, they actually use pig anuses, pig rectums for that. It's cut up into sections because a pig rectum is a tube for a certain amount of time and it gets cut up and 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 used as that so how delicious yeah. yum i don't know if that's true but look that up pig anus as calamari i'm sure that'll show up on google as a thing <laughs> i'm sure snopes will have debunked it but i'm like yeah but i bet snopes get paid a lot of money to debunk things that are true <laughs> that's probably yeah, no, i hear about stuff and i think god maybe being a vegetarian is not such a bad idea after all uh so what i've been up to um i'm in belfast at the moment uh i'm at titanic creative management i'm doing a five-day casting and application workshop and i'm halfway through that and it's been good fun what kind are you doing silicon or foam latex what are you working on we're doing silicon we're doing foam latex we're doing gelatine we're doing pro bondo we're going to do latex you know stranded uh, slip latex stuff so all of the i want to come take one of your classes oh man it's good fun we've got a really nice bunch we've got 12 people in the class and it's it's really really good fun we're basically grasping we are grasping the nettles of color mixing and making pieces of rubber not look shit when you stick them onto living tissue that's brilliant it is mustard that's just mustard and and to be honest that's exactly the kind of language i use when i'm in the class so if those of you that have been in the class i mean i, I it's quite ripe some of the things i say <laughs> but to be honest i i tell things exactly how i think they should be told and uh you know a lot of what i do is not it's not showmanship there's no big kind of like massive spectacular makeup but when you leave you know how to mix a flesh stone and you know how to make a good edge. You know what those things consist of. Cause I believe those things are very important and they need to be done well. And I know face off and uh, DVD extras. Are yeah. No, if you can't do that things. stuff, if you can't learn how to do that stuff, then you should just be making sandwiches somewhere. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not into sort of uh, showing you how to make a big avant-garde fucking like mad fucking pig monster on stilts with flashing lights and balloons for ears. It's like, you know, this stuff isn't necessarily going to get a lot of likes, but do you know what? If you made the world's best age makeup and look fucking realistic, like five people would like it. But if the second you've got a pair of fucking scissors hanging out your nose and you've got a pouty face looking at the <laughs> as a selfie, like, oh, look what happened to me. Suddenly fucking millions of people love that shit. That is not what this course is about, which, you know, <laughs> it's not my thing. No. It's not my thing. You want to do the scissor Makeup, get on YouTube. Yes, exactly. And go, and go with God. Go with God. 
and blindness, probably. Yeah. Well, I'm getting ready to start up my makeup design class at the University of Colorado in January, so I'm I'm reworking my my curriculum for that, and I'm getting ready to start sculpting for a production of The Toxic Avenger, which is a musical based on the the trauma film. 1984 trauma film oh, of the I'm same so name. I'm excited to see that. that fucking yeah, I'm stoked. I, and we've got some some fun twists that we're putting into this. So this is going to be a, a gas. And I'm hoping I can make it out to, to Los Angeles for IMATS in January uh, because I'm just about to sign the contract to start the third edition of my book and hoping to hook up with some makeup peeps to, to talk about. In new inclusions of uh, updates and new material for the book. <laughs> and, and the amazing thing is your book is not a Kickstarter campaign. It's an actual book. No, no, it's an actual published published book. It's not something many people uh, have seen. Not, not, not that Kickstarter campaigns aren't a, aren't a great thing. Cause then oh, no, you they're get, fucking uh, brilliant. But it's, just, this, it's, it's quite I mean, And the funny thing is I've actually supported a lot of them because I think they're oh, really yeah. good. But it's just funny how you just, you know, when you said that, you know, you're doing a book and it's like through a publisher, it kind of like, it, it kind of struck me how odd it was that it wasn't a Kickstarter because so many people do Kickstarter stuff and it's like, it, I'm it, so it just kind of, yeah, it was, it, it was remarkable in the fact that it wasn't a Kickstarter stuff, but uh, yeah, no, I've, I've backed a fair few things and, and I still do. And I think it's a really nice platform for people to, you know, throw bucks the right way, but it's, yeah, it's, if you, it's also if nice got to the, the honies to, to see it through. I've seen some great stuff. Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's still nice to see like Hugh Johnson's uh, book for one. Uh, oh yeah, I, and I, I, I backed that. You know, nearly two hundred dollars worth of backing. I was like, yeah, I want to fucking read that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, you know, I, I just, this is part of me was just like, you know, the fact that you're, you know, you're doing it through a publisher and proper like because you that's how you did it before because you started doing this before the whole Kickstarter bubble kicked off. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know, it just kind of it pleases me. It's nice. It's like when I, you know, you see things done that way. It's like oh, it's, it's fucking good. I'm well impressed. Well, I'm excited. I'm I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get get cracked, and I've already started. You know, I started working on on things a while back, but now that it's about to become a reality again, now I'm getting real excited. Okay, so blood, blood. It's something that gets thrown around a lot in TV and film. There's bad blood. There's good blood. There's mud bloods. There's blood thicker than water. Blood <laughs> brothers. I don't know. Can you think of any more blood fucking related? <laughs> yes. I want to know how do you get it out of out of your costume without staining? <laughs> I thought you were going to say how you get it out is of there, your car. Is there a good blood that doesn't stain? Uh, there's some good ones. I mean, over here, we've got the Pigs Might Fly stuff. That's very good. There was the Bloody Marvelous stuff. That was very good. There's Rob Smith stuff, which is very good. Uh, there are some stuff. I have some samples of Rob's stuff that I've just started playing with because I I haven't had it that long. He was kind enough to to send me some samples, and I'm just haven't had the opportunity to do much blood testing yet. Yeah, no, his stuff is very very good. And but I'm also getting ready to start a production of Bonnie and Clyde, which has a lot of blood. In fuck it. yeah, there'll be a lot of blood in that. So so. Getting blood out of costumes and pumping blood. In fact, I've actually been talking with Rick Lazzarini about um, a blo- uh, an RC-controlled blood pumping mechanism that I'm going to build for for one of the gunshots. That's going to be pretty 
the audience will probably start throwing up when it happens. <laughs> I like that. Well, amazing. Well, this episode, as you can imagine, we are looking about blood. We're talking about blood. And the reason we're talking about blood is our guest is going to be Rob Smith. Um, Yay! So I, I interviewed Rob at his home, and he's pretty much the blood master, as well as an all-round effects body. He does a lot of prosthetic stuff, and he runs a lot of foam, which I know uh, has a lot of uh, weight with you, Todd. Um, and he makes exquisite soft foam appliances. Uh, and you really need to I just saw a them picture to appreciate that I, it. He, he posted something I saw, I think it's just yesterday of, of, um, one of his kids, um, I think his son when he was, God, not even a year old mm-hmm. of a direct on the ear putty build up of these little elf ears and it was amazing. <laughs> I thought he just had pointy ears and he was being polite. <laughs> well, that's the story anyway. Well, he's a, I mean, he, he showed me some foam that he'd made, uh, and they were really, really soft. And he was talking about like sort of 12 or 15 times, you know, rise foam. Um, but he makes a lot of pieces. He runs a lot of foam for other people as well. Um, uh, he's one of those guys you will have certainly have seen his work, even though you don't realize it. If you've been to the cinema in the last few years, you'll have seen some of his stuff. Um, it was good fun though, because it, it brought me around to thinking that blood is one of those things we use a lot of. And I think the thing is as well, when you do stuff for productions, especially theater, where you may have to do something night after night after night or, you know, TV shows where you, where you may be hired costumes or hired wigs where the blood goes everywhere and it needs to wash out. There are lots of qualities with, with special effects blood that you well, sure. and don't I, and really I appreciate, think, I think. Yeah. And I think blood needs to be thought about for the specific application it's going to be used in much more than, a lot of people really give it the consideration it's due. Yeah. You know, because under certain lighting, lighting conditions, you know, it's gonna, it might look too dark or it might look too pink or too, too vibrantly red. So it's gotta, you gotta do your testing and know what it's gonna look for because blood seeping out of a corpse is not gonna look the same as arterial blood spurting out of somebody's throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember doing a show years ago where we had, uh, it was supposed to be like an autopsy scene and they were going to cut the body open and we actually had a forensic pathologist as a, an advisor on the show and it was really interesting chatting to him about stuff because we were trying to get the blood color right and how much would come out and obviously the heart's not pumping it so it kind of weeps out under gravity rather than because of, you know, blood pressure and everything. Yeah. And, and, and when you start talking to him, you sort of suddenly really get drawn into it and, you know, it's like on set, there are sort of entire hours where nothing is really happening and you can start chatting to these people. <laughs> you just get really into like the tiniest of details because, you know, there's somebody who's paid to be there all day and you can just tax them with questions. And it was amazing. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun. So I was thinking like, um, I mean, some of the things as well is is like real blood obviously changes its state over time. Like when you freshly bleed, it's liquid. But then it smears, and then it very quickly clots and dries and flakes off and changes color on, over the time. You know. Yeah, and one, I, one of, one of the many, many times I have personally drawn blood, it was the last time I nearly cut the tip of my left thumb off changing a, a box cutter blade, because I'm stupid. There was blood everywhere, and as a test, I decided to leave one of the blood batters 
in the bathroom uh-huh. on the wallpaper to see how it changed color over time. <laughs> and it was pretty cool because, you know, it was kind of the dark red venous blood because it wasn't, wasn't arterial. It was out of my thumb. And it dark red and it went brown and then gray and then just kind of disappeared altogether. Really? Just kind of flaked off and vanished? Yeah, I mean, just kind of faded away. Oh, that's weird. So Donna yeah, didn't clean it, it off? Paper, it wasn't it was, like it got wiped away? No, I told her I'll leave that there. That's that's a test, god damn it. <laughs> that's putting your, your money in the amount. I mean, it, was, it wasn't huge, and it was down near the near the baseboard. So it wasn't wasn't a high app. So that you know, we had guests over. They go, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> yeah, I like but that. it was it was cool the way the way it the way it just gradually changed color and faded ultimately to nothing. Yeah, well, it's one of those things I think that people don't necessarily think about. They just think of you know this one off fluid that you know you just buy and slear it everywhere. It does have to be the right color. Um, it has to be the right viscosity, mm-hmm. and it has to be the right viscosity as well. Blood's, you know, blood isn't this sort of gooey, creamy paste that flows out. You know, it's a liquid; it, it goes everywhere, but it kind of clots and things. But it also needs to be safe. It needs to be safe to use on the skin. It needs to be safe. Yes, to and, use and, and if you're going to be putting it in your mouth, in it the definitely mouth, exactly, needs to yeah. be food grade. Yeah, and 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 good on costume as well, which is something people don't necessarily consider. Um, and easy to clean I've up. I've heard as that well. boiling water. I've heard that boiling water is a great way to get some of these fake bloods out of fabric. Okay, which is good if you can put the said item in boiling water. But if you've hired a costume, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of fabrics, you know, you don't. I mean, we traditionally wash fabrics at a low temperature in order to not damage them. So no one's running to a boil wash if they can avoid it, especially if you hide a costume and you don't want it to shrink. Right. Or do big things. So yeah, easy cleanup is is a consideration. It's not something you know, uh, you know, until you've done it. And uh, yeah, so if you've it. got the time, test, test, test. Yeah, well, absolutely, test these things out. I mean, it's good to test them on the thing, but the good bloods that you pay more for, they they have done all these tests. Um, but yeah, as a product, I think there's lots of different kinds of things that can be classified as blood. For example, your blood as a real biological product, like I say, it does things. It clots, it dries, it separates, it form scabs and it flakes and everything and a single artificial blood won't do all of those things so no. you need to create the different possibilities you need different blood effects like you need liquid blood flowable blood that can be pumped out you know from a pump you need clotted blood that maybe is like almost like jam in its consistency where it's like you know a, a, a clot mm-hmm. plus you get scab which is dry and flaky then you get the wound fillers and you get paste like that they're all considered blood you know what works great for scabs what's that have you ever used Have you ever used uh, prunes or raisins as scabs? Uh, no, yeah. but I can see how that would work. You slice one yeah. of those in half and make a little scabby thing, and you can eat it. Yeah, and really gross people out. Uh, uh, just think about the blood. I mean, like the whole Dick Smith blood, you know, with the caracorn syrup. A lot of bloods, I think, were sort of syrup based. So mm-hmm. syrup, syrup with the the whole raisins thing is quite nice. Very, very sugary. Yeah, but Dick's got an ingredient in his blood that if you if you use it, no longer becomes mouth safe. Ah, uh, okay. Which is the Kodak Photo Flow. Okay. 
Well, it's interesting that, you mentioned that. That, that, that becomes pretty toxic. Yeah. Well, it, uh, uh, Rob mentioned this as well, I think he did the digs with the gorse. And so he kind of had that information in his head when he started doing his bud things. Um, you know, he started pretty good, but, uh, yeah, as convenient as, as the mouth safe ones are with the whole kind of sweet things like the syrup stuff. Um, they do attract flies in warm climates, which is not something I knew about really until we started oh, yeah. hearing over everyone. And then when the flies come, we're going, Oh yeah, that's kind of gross and sticky. <laughs> But real blood attracts flies as well. Yeah, I guess it does. Picturing a pool of blood caked in flies and that buzzing and then that putrid smell of defecation and in smellorama. I want to talk a little bit about blood gags as well. Um, yeah. Blood, ga- blood gags, are, they're a tricky thing to do. And obviously the thing about blood, you're pumping blood. But I've done a fair few blood gags. A lot of necks, weirdly. I don't know why necks. Have you tried the... The, the Mike Mikash method using the Opsite medical no, tape? No, but I saw it in the Makeup Artist magazine. It was a really – was it Makeup Artist magazine or Prosthetics um, magazine? No, it was Prosthetics. Prosthetics magazine. It was Prosthetics magazine. magazine. Uh, and it was a really, really neat idea because it's so thin. Yeah. I can't remember what that one, number two yeah. or number three magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, uh, I remember reading that and going, holy shit, that's brilliant. Because I, I knew – I've got some of the tape and I haven't tried it yet but I know some people who have and just said it's it works like a charm. Well, I know the tape because I only found out about the tape from that because um, yeah. I knew about the Opsite spray. It was like a spray that you'd sprayed on skin. And I've, I've, I've heard of people using that for things like if you've got someone with a cold sore or something and you need to put a piece over the top of that. And it just gives you like a skin that kind of protects. Yeah, it's like that liquid bandage. Yeah, like a liquid bandage. So it's the same kind of thing. And then I saw this thing. It's like Opsite make a, a tape. Um which is really good. And I've heard, I think Vanessa White was saying that it works really well for burns. Like you paint the skin up how you want it and then you put this tape over the top and it gives you that kind of sheen where you oh. get that kind of stiffened and shiny, you know, pattern to skin. So I'd like to try that out. That sounds good because it's so thin, but at the same time, it's obviously because it's a membrane, it still has some resistance to the skin, which is exactly what you get with a, you know, like a first degree burn where that you know, kind of flattens out and makes the skin all kind of smooth. But Very cool. That. But uh, yeah, I want to talk about uh, the blood gags and everything because the thing about blood gags is obviously when you pump blood, you have to, you have to thin it to get it through the tubing because obviously mm-hmm. the thinner your mm-hmm. tubing is, the narrower your piece can be. But also that means the more pressure you need to push your, you know, the blood through. So you need to thin that out. And I've done a fair few of those where, you know, the way the blood actually leaves the wound site is quite important. So we did a lot of blood spray patterns where I've made like, uh, I've done some video, I have to see if I can dig it out for Game of Thrones, we made loads of like uh, ends of the piping and I slit it, I did slashes and I did slashes in different directions and I did pinpricks and just loads of tiny little, you know, different variations of holes in the tubing to affect how it left the tube and actually change the direction of the blood flow so it would spray in a direction that you could predict and repeat. I've even done that using um, using knives and scalpels with with small brass tubing and, and hopes to have the, and dulling the blade down and being able to get the blood to come out the knife rather to than come out of the knife. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a nice little, little neat trick because then it means all the, the effect is taking place in the knife itself rather than the wound or where the skin is, which is a neat trick. Yeah. Yeah. But often you have to blood on the, the need. The what? Sorry. It depends on the need. It does depend on the need. I think it depends on the knee for a minute. I was like, what? Maybe I did. (laughs) 
but also if the thing about thinning blood is if it's too thin and too translucent it just doesn't look right because you know if it's too yep. thick it won't move and it doesn't spray correctly it just kind of comes out like melted ice cream and if it's too thin you can kind of see through it and it kind of looks shitty i had yeah um, and blood's blood's opaque it is opaque there was uh there, there were some pictures that i took a, that, that uh, i'll show you these pictures that rob uh, he actually had like a lancet and, you know, he often, when he's making blood, he actually kind of pierces his finger with the lancet to, you know, like, like, um, diabetics do to check their blood sugar levels. Yeah. So he pierced his skin and then put a drop of blood on something and, and showed, you know, that compared to the stuff that he'd made. And it was pretty impressive. It was like, wow. Especially on dark. If you put like fresh blood onto like a, a dark surface, like use the back of his phone case, which was black. And it's amazing how opaque and how bright blood looks when it's on a game, you know, against a dark surface, because you think of it as being like this dark liquid, but actually when it, it, it's so opaque, it actually reflects a lot of light and that's more apparent on a dark surface. So that was, an, that well, was I have a, I, I have a number 11 exacto blade right here in my hand and my phone case is, is dark. Let's see. <laughs> don't do it. Oh, that's horrible. I don't even want to imagine. Oh, horrible stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. No, I've, I've, I've done the number 11, unintentionally before and it it hurts more than the the little diabetic prick you yeah. diabetic <laughs> it's not his fault it was his genes <laughs> um uh, a, a little tip that i heard uh, a stuart comran told me about this or mentioned it on a facebook thing and it was a really really neat idea was to thin blood instead of using water to thin it he suggested using a flat diet coke Oh, because Diet Coke is dark to begin with. And obviously mm-hmm. being Diet Coke, there's no sugar in it. So it doesn't add to the stickiness and obviously flat because you don't want it to be fizzy. So if you were to, you know, have like a big two liter bottle of Diet Coke, let it go flat and then use that to thin your blood. It just means it's more fluid. It's more watery, but it doesn't also become more translucent because of it. And that's a neat little side tip. I would recommend. Definitely. It's not good. I like that. It never amazes me. It never ceases to amaze me how much stuff there is to know. Anyway, should we listen to Rob Smith? This is our interview. I sat here yes, for a please. while. Do you know what? He also plays guitar. So when you hear the guitar in this uh, in this interview, that is him playing the guitar. Now he also played our little intro theme as well, which is pretty cool with his guitar, which will stick on here somewhere. But whenever you hear plucking of guitar, that's Rob working away. It's pretty impressive. Excellent. No, I was just showing you these because people have mentioned to me in the past that they like these twist caps. Mm. But I just find they were, they're not leaking, but they're sort of, I'm always worried there's a little bit of a danger, especially if I send something abroad. Yes. You know, and then it, it uh, arrives. Yeah, it arrives a bit. <laughs> yeah, a bloody mess. So. <laughs> but, um, so I've, I thought I'll try to give these a try. They're a little bit more cumbersome. They probably won't fit in, well, I'm sure they'll fit in your kit. They might not fit in certain box compo- compartments and things, but. But I think it's probably a good nozzle. But it's literally something that arrived, you know, yesterday or the day before. Because I thought, we'll give it I a like that. Yeah, right? it's all right. Isn't it? You're right. I mean, when you have got like those makeup boxes, but you've got the little tray. Yes. You've you gained what an extra half inch in height on the bottle, but yeah, it's a nice dropper though. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Well, that's and it doesn't seem to be leaking, and I'm sure you have to cut the lid off. You know, you cut the tip off yourself, so it's all well sealed in. Well, that's good. That means when it's yeah. shipped, it's yeah, exactly. Be... It's all safe. Yeah. Some of the bottle manufacturers suggest you, sh- you know, some people ship stuff with a lid on, with a wadded cap, right? So it arrives safely, and yeah, then, yeah. and then, but you also then have to put one of those in the pack with it. So you're basically buying two, 
you're just paying for two nozzles then, you know, 20p to whatever, 10p, 20p. It just adds a little bit of extra unnecessary cost to everything. Yeah. Because when you're talking about a little bottle like that, um, it's every little bit counts because by the time you've got the bottle and the label and the cap and yeah. postage it's and all that. It's not just the liquid inside no, that you're paying for. No, paying <laughs> six quid for a tiny little thing of blood like that. It's like, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just all these little costs in between. Yeah. But... Uh, Hopefully they'll be good. I'm hoping I'm going to take those to the prosthetics event and uh, see if I can do little sample trial packs so people can try different the different shades that I do, which is, they're all very subtle. Some people have looked at them, well, there's no difference. <laughs> which, if you just put it on the back of your hand and do that, you'll probably, you won't see a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you put it on, uh, particularly on dark surfaces, it'll, there's a big difference there. Eh? And in different lighting, I've, uh, you know, I thought I might need the arterial bright one or the original one which is the sort of next one down but I've chosen to go with venous blood even though it's like a nice fresh wound from the head yeah yeah because it was broad daylight and very bright sunny day yeah and I just thought well, it's, actually that looks too bright um so uh just uh notch it down a bit I think that's the thing though is you know it's, it's it's noticing these things and then making the modifications necessary yeah, to make exactly. it right. Whereas yeah. a lot of people just go, oh, it's his blood. Yeah, yeah. And well, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> it is amazing how, even though everyone's seen it, yeah. how people still yeah. get it wrong. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can buy blood, it's like, that's raspberry jam. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> how that is, is possible? Well, that's, the, that's what really, why I started making this stuff. Screenface years ago, um, I just thought that there's, there's some, I had seen some nice blood in the joke shop down the road here. Right. I bought a little bottle of stage blood and another shop in the same parade of shops I bought something that they called theatrical blood. And I had um the difference between the one product they were both little you know for kids basically. Yeah. And um the difference in the quality between one that looked really nothing like real blood at all and the other one was like oh this stuff's actually really good. Yeah. You know, and it sort of even as a 10-year-old or whatever I was then, you know, I I was sort of acutely aware of the how one fake blood can look really, really good, and and the other one's just like nothing like blood water. It's yeah. like um, I don't know they I don't know they put blindfold on before they start mixing up the form. It does seem like you know. Oh, I'll just <laughs> but then you hear like like uh, makeup and stuff at Halloween. There's always some picture of a kid who's like their face is still green because you know the makeup they got for like next to nothing is not yeah. is not. It's, not it's almost just like it didn't go through any kind of quality control. You <laughs> check it as a stained skin. Well, the, <laughs> those, some of those hairsprays seem to stain. You see kids at school after they had a party or something. You know. There's all these kids with little green spots in here where they, they've tried to shampoo it. Yeah. But it just doesn't... No, if you go, wait another week, it'll all be gone. Yeah, it's just rebranded car lacquer or something. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. But, um, so, yes, I've, I, I don't know how much you want me to waffle on, but the reason I got to make the screen face blood, which was the first blood product. So you I made made the first, you yes. made the screen face yes. blood? Because yeah. I use that. Uh, well, we had loads same, of pro- same product, yeah. and I didn't realise that you'd made it. Ah, no, well, I, that, that beach was red. I, <laughs> there are scenes where the, the water is red, and that's yeah. just gallons and gallons yeah. of that blood everywhere. Well, we, and that minty smell that kept me a company. Well, did uh, you two, three in the morning? Did you wonder what, why he put this minty smell in there? There's a bit. I think it was. Um, is it Ben Nye blood or one of the one of the bloods that had a minty taste? And somebody mentioned that right to me, saying, "Oh, I like that blood. and It had a nice little minty flavour." It was completely nothing to do with deliberately wanting to put a minty flavour in just for the flavour's sake. Right. I was mixing up um, fake blood and, you know, the Dick Smith formula, which is the standard great formula. And 
so I was using golden syrup because Cairo syrup, you, we don't get it here. We don't have Cairo. This is something a lot of Americans are yeah. surprised. We don't really have the corn syrup thing. No. Like a lot of people no. go over there like cans of drink. Like, oh, this oh, has got real sugar in it. I'm like, well, of course we, it does. Yeah, we don't but everything's corn syrup. Yeah, the, it is. The corn farms subsidize I, I, and so everything's sweetened with yeah, that. So exactly. They do. It's a rare treat to get sugar in the yeah. drinks. Yeah. Cane sugar <laughs> is not, yeah, they don't really do it in the States, do they? In the same way. Like, it's like a, it's all, I guess it's a novelty thing over there. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like sunshine is over here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um so golden syrup was the obvious answer and uh just thin it down a bit with some water not too much otherwise you yeah. uh might stain mm. food color so so the, but the, so the standard formula is you kind of just follow the dick's idea which is great and then you come to the point where you put it on your skin and it all separates into big beads which some of the products available did and mm. i thought oh, this isn't good is it um uh and also they were very transparent Mm-hmm. And I just thought, uh, because I've been supplying screen face with latex pieces like noses and wounds and things like that for a little while. I, I mean, I say a little while. I can't, it's a long time ago, so I don't know if it had been six months or a year or or more. But um, it came a point where John Danvers, who ran Screenface, owned Screenface, um, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. But um, he said, "Can you do blood?" I think he asked me if I could do some blood. I, 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 my memory on this is a bit hazy because I, I can't remember if I said, you know, I, I reckon we could do some blood. Yeah, because I remember looking at all the blood that was available and thinking, you know, I think I could do something more realistic. Um, because the market for drying blood, clotted blood, dark blood, it was kind of covered, I thought. And, and there's plenty of good products if you want something that's thicker, darker, dried or drying or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of really good products out there that are fine. So I didn't didn't look at any of that and thought, okay, I reckon I can make it better. But when it came to fresh, free-flowing blood, I thought there was a bit of a lack of really good, realistic stuff. Mm. As you, you know, you know, it's uh, most of them I found were too transparent or, or too pink or too orange or or just um, not opaque enough, mainly they were too trans, translucent, transparent, basically. Mm. And uh, it was one of the things that I just always remember thinking of in the watching sort of horror movies in the 80s the slasher or the a lot of a lot of very gory and bloody films where a lot of blood's flying around which you often see it spurting in front of camera mm-hmm. and you see straight through it you know it's like ribbons of red glass or, and it's <laughs> well, just, that bright red yeah. like temper kind of well, there's that, temp, temper well, it's one temper of, yeah, 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 you yeah. know <laughs> well there's the, it was in between because there was the i think it was a bit of a backlash from the the sort of 70s and previous where the blood was opaque like paint mm-hmm. so you know i know i remember reading tom savini said on dawn of the dead it looked the stuff he was using was 3m blood and it looked great to the eye but it filmed a bit too opaque you know it filmed a bit bright but you know to see it uh, it was really really good and realistic um and i you know a lot of the old like hammer movies the blood was very opaque and um it almost looked a little bit like paint sometimes but uh the dick smith formula kind of rejigged that a little bit and i think once everyone got Dick's formula of syrup, water, food colour, um, they kind of forgot the you've got to add some titanium dioxide or some zinc oxide or whatever. You know that bit we just oh, yeah. well, no, we don't need to do that. But, you know, so so it was all just transparent blood everywhere for for the for the whole of the eighties, and um, I kind of uh, thought, well, we've got to do something about this. So so yeah, screen face blood. The basic formula was the same. I don't make screen face blood anymore because they've changed. It's all rebranded now, so it's kind of mm-hmm. you know all changed. There's no there is no screen face product as such. So um, 
So basically, I mixed up the Dick Smith formula, uh, or, you know, the English version, uh, using powdered colours, because the I guess my initial test would have been supermarket, um, you know, little bottles of food colour from the supermarket, but of course they've all got preservatives in acetic acid or something, and citric acids, uh, which is, doesn't help with the staining. In fact, you know, it makes it worse, so you don't really want to... It's best to avoid those, but of course, when people are just knocking it up at home and making small batches for themselves, that's what they're going to use as some sure. supermarket... Um, if you've hired like a period costume well, from, you know, exactly. from angels, yeah. Yeah. it comes yeah. back with a stain that's in shift. So it's a different thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the so the powders are the answer. The food color powders, which you then have to, of course, you have to buy in bulk. So you've got to be knocking up gallons of it. And then, then, then the, the opaque factor came into it. So I've got a nice color. I've got a nice blood. Now, what am I going to use to opacify it? And um, and the other thing was the beading. Um, so the the two factors. Need to pacify it, and I need to put a soap in that makes it, you know, surfactant. And Dick's uh, photo flow, Kodak photo flow, was the answer, which is something you don't want to put in your mouth. And uh, the sort of guys over here were just putting a bit of washing up liquid in, you know, um, just one. So I thought, hang on, we need a soap that uh, you can put in your mouth. That's not, uh, and it just didn't. I don't know how long it took me to think of this, but I thought we put soap in our mouths every morning. When we brush our teeth, so toothpaste was the is the answer was which was the secret ingredient in screen face blood. So it's basically syrup, water, food colour, and toothpaste. That was so when you were smelling that mint on the beach, you know it was Sainsbury's toothpaste. Oh my God. I was actually I was actually <laughs> buying like a thousand tubes of Sainsbury's toothpaste. I looked at um, uh, buying um, you know bulk toothpaste from suppliers, but they. they they were sort of generic formulas they offered me in, in big drums or whatever. And I thought, I, I kind of like the fact that this one's not too minty, it's not too offensive, it's not, mm. and, it's, and it's got the right balance of um, whatever, the, the, the titanium dioxide opacifier and the soap. So toothpaste got everything you want in it. It opacifies it and, it, and it's the soap as well. So if you want to make some really nice fake blood at home, uh, follow the Dick Smith formula and then bung a bit of toothpaste in. And if you get the right, the cheapest own brand's, you know, the cheapest name brand toothpaste uh, from the supermarket. I started, it was Co-op. Co-op Mild Mint Toothpaste was the first one, I think. And then uh, what happens is, because these supermarkets, they obviously have a deal with whoever's supplying them for a few years. You'd find after a few years, that product's not available anymore. All right. And um, so then I'd have to find another cheap brand of toothpaste that would do the job. And I think over the, however many years it was, 25 years or whatever, I was making screen face blood. I probably went through three or four different sort of supermarket-owned brand toothpaste, which, as far as I could tell, were all made by the same Colgate, Palmolive sure. oil. They just changed their form. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. They just tweak it a little bit. Put, you know, mild mint becomes fresh mint, becomes whatever, Sainsbury's Basics or, what, you know, sort of whatever. But um, if I was... Uh, I, I mean, I stopped doing it that way a while back, but um, if I was looking today, I'd just pop down a few supermarkets, check out their basic, cheapest... You know, thirty pair tube toothpaste, and um, mix that in with the yeah, the old blood. Amazing! It's great. It's <laughs> such a simple thing. You know, we all talk about soap that you put in your mouth. Oh, you can't put that in your mouth. It's soap. Hang on, you're doing it every morning. Every yeah, night. you have to ch- change what you think of yeah. when you think of soap. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's yeah, yeah. Just a bar of soap. Yeah. So, um, so that was it. Yeah, and and of course, what I found with those those particular, uh, the sort of cheapy toothpaste, they've got a perfect balance of opaqueness and uh, and soap. 
So you had, uh, you know, like three tubes in a gallon. You know, it was like three tubes of Sainsbury's toothpaste in a gallon of blood. It makes it just the right sort of level of opaqueness and it makes it just the right, you know, it flows nicely on everything. So mm-hmm. so that was just, you know, and then that's kind of luck. But then, I, I, okay, years later, I, I started. You say luck, but you probably had to go through a lot of formulations oh, I, oh, I to arrive at this yeah, lucky yeah, yeah. chart. So it, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, but it's like one of those, it's when you have an idea that just is, why the hell didn't I think of that before? Yeah. That is so obvious. Yeah. Well, well, I was genuinely surprised. You thought, oh, I'm like, I had no good. No, of course. It was toothpaste. <laughs> it smelled like toothpaste. It was, um, yeah, that's, that was it. But I've, I haven't told anybody this up until now, but literally because of what's happened with Screenface now, and they're not, they're not doing Screenface products anymore, so they're not, they're not buying Screenface buds. So I'm not selling it to anybody. But uh, I re, I mean, obviously I reformulated, and the other product that I make, one of the other products I make, which is professional simulated blood, is kind of like, the same idea as screen-based blood, but without all the having to cut toothpaste tubes up, you know, all the essential ingredients, you know, you've got titanium dioxide for opacity and so on. And, um, but I mean, obviously the problem is if people are making blood in small batches for themselves, all these materials work out too cost prohibitive, you know, they're expensive because you have to buy them in bulk, you have to buy a 25 litre drum of soap that you can eat it does make yeah. me laugh when people say uh, you know they want to get a handle on it and they're wearing some cheap blood yeah. and they say yeah but for it to look good and yeah. not stain you've actually got to spend quite a lot of time well, that's, and effort I you don't put a dollar value in your time I'm only seriously I'm <laughs> seriously I spent I think a year in, obviously I was in between other work but it was quite a, you know fairly full time job for a year I mean it sounds like a lot of time but coming up with the formula for the uh, professional simulated blood, and then my new one, which is the silicon flow blood, that was another year. And then I think it's taken me literally three years to get it to the point where I've now got a final formula. But in between times, one of the one of the suppliers of one of the ingredients changed their formula. I had to change it, and so I had a few little problems. Oh, you know, you you've got something that you think's good, and then oh, now you can't get that stuff anymore. Oh, no. but luckily. Um, uh, I came. I found an alternative which worked out better, cheaper, and everything else, and just it made it uh, a lot nicer in every way, and, and uh, better and easier to make. So, mm. so I've, uh, but yes, three years in the making. You know, I think the, the the thing that you have to get right when you're making a product that other people are going to use is that you need to know it's safe. I need to know it's not going to stain. And I need to know that it's going to be usable in the mouth because that's one of the things that I always. I thought if it's safe to put in your mouth, then it's going to be safe every, anywhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, as long as you can put it in your mouth and and theoretically drink a small amount of it, and it's only small amounts, because um, the, 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 the there's a sorbitol base in my in my silicone blood, which uh, if you if you drink more than about fifty, well, if you drink it's a little a bit, effect, it's a big time laxative. <laughs> So yeah, if you're ever bunged up, just drink a little bit of the old, and it'll come out sort of blood colour. So it's not a, it's not a good mix. Yeah, no, 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 no. trip to the hospital. What's going on? But it's um, yeah. So it's not, it's it's not. Uh, it wouldn't kill you, but uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't be nice if uh, if you drank more than a, a sort of a I don't know a double measure, or you know, if you're having a short mm-hmm. shot. Um, so I, that's why I put on the label, it's safe in safe in the mouth, but don't swallow it. Mm-hmm. Same as a mouthwash or toothpaste, you know, you, you're supposed to put it in your mouth, you're not supposed to swallow it. Yeah. Um, so that's the idea. And um, what are, well, the other factors, the non-staining factor is very important, of course. I've always wanted it to be able to be washed out with lukewarm water, not have to put it in a, any sort of wash. with. So I, so I test everything with 
white when I when I was developing a product, I'd test it with um, on a white uh, cotton towel, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know a few other things, just white stuff. You know, I might have a pair of socks there and just te- you know just just make sure that it w- rinses out really easily under just under a warm tap or something. Uh, obviously, a lot of costumes they can't they can't wash them, they can't dry clean them. And uh, so they just have to kind of be sponged between, especially in theatre, you know. They don't have, you know, several copies. They've got one very expensive gown and uh, they've got to just sponge it down every night sort of thing, you know. Yeah, completely different set of rules from yeah. Yeah. TV or film yeah. where you might have multiple yeah, versions exactly, of, yeah. of contemporary outfits which yeah. are easy to replace. Exactly, yeah. You know? uh, yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so theatres, kind of, they're really strict on in fact the, the wardrobe people often decide who's what blood you're going to use you know right, right. so the makeup artist might want to use my blood uh, they say oh well we'll have to run it you have got to run it past the wardrobe so from the theatre point of view you want to be on, on side with Excellent. wardrobe, wardrobe. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> because they're going to be the, yeah, like the far shops. more uh, yeah. yeah it's um yeah because it's so it's so important that they can get that thing clean for the next next night or mm. whatever after the matinee or whatever whenever. it's funny how these things crop up I did a job we did some stuff on Game of Thrones where we had People getting stabbed in the neck, and this was filmed in. Uh, it was a bull ring in uh, Spain, and it was supposed oh, to be. It okay. was decked out to look like, yeah. um, like a like gladiator arena. Yeah, okay, and they yeah. extended the tears right. and everything digitally, okay. but they had scenes where people got their throat cuts. There was spurting blood everywhere. Uh, okay. We weren't allowed to get any blood. Oh, on the on, on the what things. It was all concrete Crabble. and stone Crabble. and everything. Okay, right. but it was all like. You know, original hundreds, oh, hundreds of years old. Oh, right. But uh, it was like you know, outside. I mean, it was exposed to the weather, yeah. so we had to sort of put blankets and plastic down oh. where we thought you know the blood would go. And it was just like the kind of thing you wouldn't think. No. And it was, I think, I think they had mold life arterial right. blood we're using, right. so it should be okay. It's going to rinse off. But it was. It's funny that it's, it's it's something that you wouldn't think about. No, when you're busy using well, blood, it's like oh, where you're doing it all. Oh, that's uh, on the floor. It is a good point, though. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're out and about. I mean, that, I, I was just gearing up to do a shoot in a skate park somewhere with a um they were but they that's one of the concerns was you know how are we going to get rid of it because it was going to be very bloody we haven't done it and i don't know if we're ever going to <laughs> but um it was a cleanup that was one of the main concerns you know i thought well just we could just get a few buckets and hose it down there'll be a drain there somewhere i mean it rains yeah it's safe down the drain yeah it's, it's, it's fine yeah. yeah but um but it's uh, yeah it's a concern and you, you do have to think about it obviously when you're on studios or set um Normally, uh, it's all sort of taken care of, isn't it? It's not you don't really have to think about it so much. Yeah, it's a, it's it's expected. But yeah, when you when you're on a location like that, I guess yeah. And also, I think like with arterial spray, when they want like a nice big sort of theatrical yeah. spurt of it, yeah, it's not an exact science as to where it's no. going to land. Not so at all. you know, if it goes inadvertently yeah. on something like a piece of the wall or something, yeah, again, that needs to be something. Yeah. You know, so this staining thing, like you say, is a big yeah, it's deal. a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have, uh, you know, what? Ideally, I would put more pigment in. I would to get the best, you know, to get it to look the very most realistic. I would add more color to it. Right, but it's a calculated choice. Yeah, exactly. It's just a balance thing. Thresholds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, if I put half as much more in, I wouldn't um, wouldn't have to put so much a pacifier because it'd be, you know, the, the the actual dye makes it opaque. You know, if you just put a lot of food color in something, it will. If you use the right one, it will become opaque anyway. Right. But um, like lake colours, for instance, lake colours, lake colours, um, don't stain skin at all. They right. they're really. What is a lake? Color? It's a lake is where they've got the dye and it's attached to a, a, an aluminium particle. Right. So it's tiny little flakes of aluminium or aluminium oxide, and um, 
uh, they are basically they don't stain anything because they won't um, they, they're non-solid it's not insoluble basically right so it doesn't uh, it doesn't behave like a dye anymore it just is a it's just colour so you can get you could put you know you could probably put neat you could probably mix up neat food colour lake colours and put them on your skin uh, and they just and it wouldn't stain but um, I found they they stain fabrics because I guess they those little particles just get into the fabric oh, and they're, and they're physically in there yeah and I, I, I I've I've heard people saying use lake colours it doesn't stain mm. but I've tested lake colours I'd like to use lake colours because it would mean I'd have to use less of the opacifier basically mm-hmm. which always settles out and that's the 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 bugbear I guess that's the, the one of the annoying things in um, in my uh, blood formula is that you have to shake it well to get it to you know to get the opacifiers back up in solution because that titanium dioxide so is heavy yeah. it's a good it's a it's the sort of best food white food colour because it's um you know it's very opaque and very it reflects all the light so it, but it's heavy stuff and it settles down and I've tested zinc oxide and uh, other things that should be lighter but they, I've never found anything that really stays in solution nicely. We're at half time, Todd. Half time. What's the score? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't play follow sports. Rob Smith won us nothing. That sounds about right. It's just a quick reminder to say uh, to to drop us an email at Stuart and Todd at gmail.com and also to check us out on our facebook page because we love to hear what you've got to say and we like to hear uh questions we love questions so please do email us or check us out our facebook page which is on facebook and just look for battles with bits of rubber yeah and and pick up the new copy of prosthetics magazine we've got a little ditty in there again this this issue we have and it's a really good magazine actually it's there's there's Oh, uh, yeah. I am so honored to be part of it. Back to the show. It's my Charles Vane voice from Black Sails. It's pretty good. I like that. Thank you. One of the main problems is why I don't supply bloody big drums, because nobody's got, you know, unless they're a shop or something that's dealing with massive amounts, they haven't got agitation equipment. So I only sell it in a five liter, so you can physically shake it, and then and that's fine. And um, and I don't do it in any larger quantity because you just can't get the opacifiers into solution unless you do unless you give it a really good shake. Mm. I've looked at it. I mean, of course, you can put ball bearing in a in a bottle to help with that. But then because I'm advertising that you can put it in your mouth, I just yeah, don't put a ball. Yeah, yeah, just in, I, I mean, I'm sure nobody goes swigging it from the bottle. But um, I think the idea of a ball bearing in a something that's meant to be for the mouth use is not is never a good idea. So I haven't done it. But um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get. To, I'll get a formula that you don't have to shake up so much. That'll be my next little, you know, new improved one. But it's amazing how much goes into it. That I think when people yeah. when people just balk at paying for a bottle of blood. It's, oh, and, and well, I'll go and make yeah. it myself. So yeah, you exactly. have no idea. Yeah. What to, no, exactly. It's yeah. not just a case yeah. of throwing together five things in it coming no. out because no, it's I mean testing. It's yeah, exactly. You, it's getting you, it right and getting it getting consistent it right, yeah. as well. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. If yeah. you start selling it, it's like you've, yeah, it's got to be same. Well, I'm halfway through a bottle and I bought a new one and they're not the same color. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got um, obviously I've got very sort of specific formulas, and the the, the weird thing is, um, I used to make like twenty gallons at a time of of the old blood of the pro- uh, professional simulated blood, but since I've been making the silicon stuff, that's kind of taken over. So I'm making less of the other one, and I kind of almost treat it like um, just people give me special orders for it. It's not like a it's not like I need gallons in stock. Apart from the whole, um, let's get it realistic. That's the main. My main focus is always that, and I can't, you know, I, as an artist, as an artist, 
everyone's got their own sort of artistic ideas of what they want to see, mm-hmm. and lots of people like to see darker blood. You know, that's just that's what they like. Yeah. Now, regardless of uh, you know how realistic it is, it's it's artistic. Um, you know, it's, it's your choice, isn't it? Yeah. It's artistic license or whatever. Um, and um, so when I'm working on a formula, all I can do is prick my finger and get that colour, which is officially a finger prick is, is regarded as venous blood, actually. But it's still quite opaque. It's not uh, really dark and translucent. I have blood taken because I've got... I, have, I take tablets for high blood pressure. So I have to have a blood test every so often. So when they draw a, a file off... Uh, I see, and one for you, and one for me. Really, <laughs> so they give me a file. Yeah. I get a file, yeah. So I, I, I haven't at the minute, but I've normally got a file of my blood in the fridge, and it's amazing, even though it's come straight from a vein, how opaque it is. You know, it's not that dark. you know when you see blood bags in like for transfusions. I think they they've been sat long enough that all the oxygen's left that blood, so it's really deoxygenated. It's not it's not been centrifuged, so you're not going to see the uh, the plasma, the yellow plasma, and then. You know, red and white corpuscles, um, platelets uh, that form. But uh, when they draw off um, blood from a vein, they put it. You go straight into a little file which has anticoagulant in it, so the blood kind of stays in its natural state as it was in your vein for as long as possible. And it's yeah, it's it's, it's amazing actually um, how opaque it is. Really quite opaque from a vein. You'd expect arterial blood to be quite opaque, but um, but yeah, no, even venous blood is really quite. I was going to I was going to post something on Facebook and say, "Do you think this is real or fake? Or is this arterial or venous? You know." And everyone said, oh, "That's probably arterial blood, probably fake." <laughs> but it's no, this is real venous blood actually, um, and it's not as dark and deep as you might imagine. But, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I understand the uh, the thought that something that's dark is richer and and some somehow more. I know it's come from somewhere deeper, but. Um, as soon as I see a photograph of uh, something with bright arterial or fresh bright coloured blood, it instantly makes me look, is that real? Is that, oh, that doesn't look like a makeup. Mm. Whereas something with the dark stuff dripping out, you know, especially your throat cut, and then some dark stuff, in there, it just it looks like makeup straight away. It's, there's no, it doesn't fool you. It doesn't, um, or it doesn't fool me. It's it's something I notice, you know. The difference. It's, it is interesting because, like you said, like you know, in the seventies when you had the like the, the opaque stuff that was quite bright. Yeah, and, too much. Yeah. And then in the eighties we had the translucent yeah. thing. It's weird how there are like these yeah. sort of trends the in swing. blood. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, where yeah. things just they become like received wisdom, and it's that's like, well, right. that's just how that's we do how we things. Do it, and then yeah. someone like you comes in and goes, "No, no. blood has consistently <laughs> come out of our bodies yeah, looking exactly. like this. Yeah. Why do you guys keep deviating from <laughs> what it is? It's and, weird, isn't it? You know, and people would see you know a bunch of makeups on Instagram and then copy it, and then it gets that's how it perpetuates." Yeah, because no one's ever saying no one's looking at the source material. Well, it's, it's like, not very nice to do that. No, well, that is yeah. That I mean, obviously, with bloody things, it's horrible. But of course, as you obviously know, we are having to look at stuff quite often when we're doing gore. I don't do that many gory things. Funny enough, over the years, I haven't done that much gore on set. You, you know, just make blood for other people. I, to I make blood gore. for other people. Do it, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you guys are keeping me busy. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, of course, I have done. But you know, studying real horrible things, and you know. Obviously, in forensic pathology books, there's not a lot of blood. Um, a lot of things are cleaned up so you can see what's going on. But uh, start playing things like Rotten.com and horrible websites like that, where people are showing really horrible things, you get to see what you know real blood and real messed up things. And it's always, to me, it's always quite obvious when something's real because of the brightness. It doesn't look like fake blood. It doesn't look like uh, a makeup job, a nice makeup job, or you know, 
It just looked real because of a the way the photographs taken or the circumstances, but also the just the, the there's something about the brightness of blood. The other thing about it, which I haven't mentioned yet, is the thickness of it, which right. most fake blood because. Am I making funny noises? They're going to come out. Of <laughs> but um, most fake blood, obviously, it has to be practical. So makeup artist puts a bit of blood on there, and they want it to stay there for a shot. But of course, real blood is not unless it's till it starts coagulating, which it does very quickly. Of course, it's very thin. Mm. It has to pump through capillaries. You know, tiny little blood is thicker than water, but only a tiny bit. Uh, I mean, I've done a bit of sort of technical research on blood, and just really so I know. Um, so I can tell people it's actually so I can talk like this and just say it's a tiny bit thicker than water and it is a tiny bit thicker but also it has a much lower surface tension so it can go through those tiny little capillaries water wouldn't go through your veins you know you wouldn't pump through um, so blood actually um, flows very thin and very quickly it doesn't if you get a, a cut on your head it doesn't just slowly seep out you know and five minutes later it's just a little you know, it's yeah. going to drip. And it's designed to travel exactly with so, a minimum. It doesn't yeah. want to tax the heart. Well, this is and and so and you know, I can't imagine many people on the planet haven't at some point had a nosebleed. But I mean, maybe they haven't. But um, you know, if you have a nosebleed, you, your natural reaction is just to not get it on your clothes. So you drip it, and it drips on the floor hmm. from a sort of bent posture. A nose it drips from your nose. It doesn't gloop like fake blood in the movies, stringing down. You know, gloopy no, no, fake yeah, blood. Yeah. It drip, drip, like a drip. Tap. Like a tap dripping, yeah. and it hits the floor, and it goes spatter, and it's a little, little nice little pattern of fringe. You know, it's got that. Uh, do you remember the advert for Crown Paints, where the drop went in the paint pot, and then the crown came up? It's all yeah. those little droplets coming up, and that's what blood does on a, unless it's on a perfectly smooth surface like glass, it then it might land in a in a round dot, mm. a round perfect round bead, um, but. Well, I've Any, seen it on dusty floors. Like, oh, oh, cut, oh, maybe, yeah, I've, yeah, I've yeah, cut yeah. myself plenty of times yeah. in, in world yeah. workshops. And yeah, I yeah, yeah the job in a carpenter. <laughs> just absorbed and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me versus a planer. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, yeah, so, but you see that little crinkly thing, and it's, you know, probably as big as a 5p or 10p piece nowadays, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you you took any fake blood, including mine, and dropped it like that, you'd just get a little smooth round bead. Because it's got to be a little bit thicker, just for practical reasons, a little bit thicker. Mm. And I'd love to make a blood for doing spatters like that. Um, and I have done, but it's it would stain a bit. Um, it, when you say practical, because it, it, it needs to physically be a thicker liquid yeah, just in order a little to bit. have more de- yeah. depth to it. I mean, yes, even even the, the silicon blood that I do, it's great on silicon. It, it works on everything, mm. but it can disappear a bit quick if you're putting it on a just on an act or on a little wound. Yeah. Um, you have to keep reapplying it. You know, if you smudge it or smear it, it just goes, doesn't it? It's kind of... Um, this is where you were saying you wanted a denser amount of colour. Yeah, exactly. From a practical point yeah. of view, it's hard to actually. Yeah, exactly. It's a ba- it's all the balance, but but uh, yeah, I think um, the overall um, quality of the of the product is is good. But it's just you know there's always little things. But how many products can you make? I've got basically two different products that are both fresh blood, mm. but I've got four shades in each. And it's kind of even that's too many because people. It's spiraling out because the thing yeah. is, the, the more sophisticated your blood, the more requirements you can meet. You probably find fewer. Do you know what I mean? Yes. There'll be like a few people that yeah. need all that of them. One. Yeah. And then yeah. As, as the pyramid spans yeah, out, well, it just it. becomes like. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. I mean, I kind of made the original. I called it original shade just because so to say that's the one. If you're not, if you don't know what, if you've never tried it before, that's the one you want. Um, but uh, a lot of my customers, particularly, this is interesting actually, in Denmark. They have no censorship. 
And it's only something that I thought, I think Dan Martin mentioned it to me a while back. And I was thinking, yeah, that's, that, that explains something that I wasn't really sure about. Over the years, a lot of my customers were in Denmark. And I thought, what's, why are so many people in Denmark buying my blood and favouring my blood, which is bright arterial colour? I think at the time I was only making uh, professional simulated blood just in one shade. So it was the bright arterial shade. And it's, you know, it sells okay and it sells in this country, but particularly large orders in Denmark and um, and in actually Norway, basically Scandinavia. Um, and I thought, is it something to do with the lighting out there? Are they using it on snow a lot and it looks good on snow? Or um, I, they used it on dead snow. I was starting to cast on used it on is that dead so? snow, yeah, and dead <laughs> snow too. I had to ship, I had to ship a pallet load to Iceland. For Dead Snow 2. I don't, I, I don't know how many gallons it was, but it was a pallet <laughs> off to Iceland. Um, yeah, so he used all that stuff. And um, and Morton Jacobson, who, who's, you know, he's a great makeup artist in, in yeah, Demo. And, um, and I, I thought, why well, these guys are using my blood out there. And uh, the work looks great. And I'm really, you know, proud to be supplying them. But it, it didn't dawn on me until, I think maybe Dan mentioned it, you know, they don't really have censorship out there. And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, sometimes we downplay the blood just because the sense is going to get hold of it. And the directors, we go, you know, we keep it low-key, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the famous taxi driver, Dick Smith's scene at the end where they actually had to grade the film to a sort of more of a sepia tone just because it was too... The censor said, this is too gory, too bloody at the end. So they just graded the film at the end there, so it's all it take, took the edge off the brightness of the blood. Now, I personally don't understand the thought process behind that. I think if someone gets shot in the face and blood comes out, they got shot in the face and blood came out. You either saw it or you But didn't. also, who, you know, the audience that was watching Taxi Driver, who at yeah. that point would well, be upset oh. by the brightness of the blood. <laughs> you know, having, yeah. having a yeah. 14-year-old prostitute yeah. or, you know, yeah, Harvey Keitel as the pimp or the guy, yeah. you know, it's just There's like, so how is Potentially <laughs> offensive thing. Yeah, no. You got this far, I'll yeah. suddenly, oh, that's too much. That's yeah. too much. Protect them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's weird, isn't it? It is weird. I just thought... Um, yeah, why does why is bright blood uh, more offensive to to the sensor? I mean, I know they say it's a trigger, but I don't know. Is the is the brightness a factor? Why? I, I don't. I don't really understand it. I have to say, the idea that someone's been is bleeding is surely that's it. It's the idea, isn't it? I don't know. I don't. Maybe they know something I don't about what bright red colours do to people. Bizarre. But uh, yeah, so that's. I think that's what what it is. I think in Denmark they can show whatever they want. There's no old bard on any of the realism or how bright and offensive the uh, the blood is. So so they they could go for it. Whereas here we're and I guess it's also a culture thing. We're just more used to things that are movie blood and and everything is just a little bit toned down a little bit. You know, I guess on Harry Potter they didn't want anything that was too horrifically gory you know and offensive yeah so you would probably use a something a bit you know just downplay it a bit so okay and you see all these blockbuster movies actor on the poster a little bit of blood on the cheek just dripping down a little dark bit of blood you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's kind of it's inoffensive it's um it's not yeah, upset anybody they're you know? trying to cover all the, uh, yeah. the the broader it becomes yeah. as a project the more yeah. they've got to make it anodyne and yeah exactly just just make it yeah less offensive just more middle of the road that's the way to get well isn't that what popularity is yeah, you know, just get it in the middle, and then you please everybody, or, or please nobody. So there's there's that factor. So yeah, that that's interesting. That um, when there's uh, when the censorship factor's not involved, then people are more likely to go for 
you know, something that's more real. But I also think, you know, people are just so used to seeing fake, dark, transparent blood or whatever that they that's that's just how they think of like you yeah, said, you know, yeah. that's that's blood, that's what blood is, that's what it looks like. But it's weird because we all everybody cuts themselves. Yeah. So my brother would cut himself shaving and it'd be like, Oh, hang on, drip into this glass. Or if anyone had a nosebleed or anything in the house, it was I just drip it into this glass. And my mum was brilliant. She would uh, prick her finger for me. And I was stupid. I, I think I, I was just using a like a sewing needle, you know, just a normal needle. And it's quite painful when you use just like a sewing needle, prick your finger. You have to pluck up the courage to do it. Mm. So having pl- done it for, I don't know, I went, it went on for about a year. Maybe, actually, the first screen first, I, made, I think it was maybe more like six months or something. It was a long time, you know. Uh, every day, prick your finger. And uh, my mum said, oh, because I was, I was probably complaining that my fingers were like pin cushions and it hurt. And my mum said, I'll do it for you. I'll prick my finger for you. So my mum ended up pricking her finger for me a few times. It's quite unpleasant. But of course, nowadays, they, you know, you use the lancets, which is like diabetics have to use every day to test their blood. And mm-hmm. those things don't really hurt. I mean, they, it's just a little nothing. So if I ever need to compare it to the real thing, I'll um, just use a lancet now. But it was, yeah, the old days of uh, sewing needles, that was quite painful. I think it was Dick Smith said, you know, if you want to test the colour, just prick your finger with a needle. And I thought, okay. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good way of finding yeah. out whether you're yeah. on target. It's either that or punch your brother in the nose. <laughs> there could be a lot of blood. Then he punches you back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can be the same uh, shade. Oh, actually. <laughs> actually, that's something the, um, the nurse says when she takes my blood. You know, people that smoke, it's yellower. Um, more nicotine in the blood makes the blood yellower. Really? Uh, it depends how much fat I think there are other factors of what you've got in your system that's in that does make everyone's blood a little bit different not probably I guess the overall look of it but the uh, you know just the finer points mm. I guess if you could compare them yeah exactly you would you'd see it's like looking at fine wine you know and looking at the, through the rim of the glass oh it's got a brown edge to it it's a nice aged wine uh, and yeah oh this is a smoker's blood <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But as you as you know, you know the the, 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 the there's a big line between what is 100 percent realistic and what is artistic license. Yes. And obviously, I'm selling blood to makeup artists. They've got artistic licenses. Probably their primary function. You know. It is. It's interesting because I guess the other thing. I mean, real blood is real blood, and the yeah. artistic thing. I mean, we did something on Stardust where. Oh, yeah. oh was it? It was the guy in the bath and his throat being cut. They wanted him to be blue blood. Oh, okay. Because the, he worked royal Oh, okay. Right, right. Blue blood. Yeah. So they use like a kind of a, a, a bluey blood. So you do yeah. get instances like that where there's an, yeah. you know, a deliberate artistic, artistic yeah. Yeah, yeah. thing or if there was an alien or something. Yeah, green cream. stuff. Like, yeah, but yeah, it's got to look yeah. like blood that's yes. green, not just, yeah. you know, just green paint avocado oil. juice. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. so, Pea soup. <laughs> but but but, yeah. but but the 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 possibility of variation is endless, whereas blood is is blood. So you yeah. kind of a bit more yeah limit to that. I guess yeah. people can always tweak the blood if they've got something they're supposed to do to it. Yeah, that's so, right. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I you can't make gallons and gallons of something that's brown because someone might want to green. Exactly. Nobody else so wants. It. Yeah, you know. I mean, there are. Um, I did think about because I know in in certain you know in different lighting you might want something that's more red or more orange. Obviously, in natural daylight, all the yellow brightness comes out. Um, the stuff in, a, in in artificial light all looks a bit orangey. And um, I would up the red content a little bit, you know, because the, the colours that are in it are a mix of reds and yellows and blues and white, basically, well, all the primary colours. But um, 
although real blood looks very orange in, in artificial light, sometimes I feel that you could make a little bit more red, a little bit of a pinkier red for, for, for in, when you're in orangier lighting, you know, warmer light like that. Mm. Whereas daylight, it's very much the, the, the yellow um, shows and it, and it looks good, you know, it looks good in daylight. But it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's always how many, how many products you want to produce, you know. I could have robbed. It's a lot to manage. Yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is, you've got a thicker and a thinner one. I mean, I tried that and nobody really was interested in the thicker one, which I was surprised at. But um, because I've, I, the, one of the comments I've heard over the years is, uh, have you got anything a bit thicker? You know, so I thought, okay, people keep asking for thicker. Uh, so I'll do a thicker one. And, and it just didn't really pick up. I don't know. Uh, and I, it was just because I haven't got a massive warehouse, I can't stock all this stuff. So I'm making smallish batches and I don't want to have. 80 different bloods you know yeah but I've just got a few gallons or even even you know even if you and you're not going to sell the same amount no, of each blood exactly. no that's the thing uh, it's stuff like people always go can you do dried blood how much dried blood are you going to sell someone's going to buy a bottle that size and it's going to last them 10 years mm. you know dried blood um, you don't need much of it do you really whereas fresh free flowing blood you might want to pump a few gallons of it you know yeah so that's the that's all I've been concentrating on John Denver's uh, at Screenface years ago said Robert can you make pus we, if you made pus, we'd clean up. <laughs> so I said, well, I could, I could make pus. But how much are you going to sell? How much pus are you going to sell? Who's going to want to buy gallons of pus? Mm. Um, you know, clotting blood. You make a pot of that. It's a pain in the backside mixing thick stuff up anyway. You know, you... I, getting it into those containers. Yeah, getting it into the containers. <laughs> yeah, nightmare. I mean, it's really... Uh, I don't want to get into... I just never wanted to get into all that stuff. Um, the KB... You know, the food mixer... Using a, like a Kenwood with a K beater on it, mm-hmm. you can mix uh, viscous stuff up like that. But it's um, it does tax the motor though. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I just don't think so. If I ever need thicker blood, I just put Cabasil. You know, just mix that into Cabasil rather than the other way around. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess uh, I mean xanthan gum, which is makes things a little bit slimy and a bit stringy, but it's great for thickening stuff if you need something thick. Um, but to be honest, um. I would spend six months coming up with a really good formula for clotted blood or something. Yeah. And then I'd sell, you you know, sell ten pots of it yeah. and they'd be like, why the hell did I... Just because three people mentioned it and then, then yeah. they only bought one. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, uh, no, no. I'll stick with the flow, the gallons of the flowing stuff. I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is... I mean, of course, I know that people are, are going to need thicker stuff and clotting stuff. And all, but as I said earlier, it's kind of... It's they're already good products out there, so yeah. why bother? You know. Yeah. I mean, it's. I have thought about doing concentrates actually, just because of shipping costs. I mean, the main the main problem with America is the shipping just costs of them. small amounts. It's, it's funny enough, small amounts that go in the post, less than two kilos, are not too silly actually. Not the price isn't too dark. Uh, so if somebody just wanted a liter or something, that's that's fine. I can post that often. But of course, I'm not a retailer, so I don't want to be selling a liter. I want to be selling those to the shops. And, mm. you know, if you want to buy direct from me, I'll do the gallons, uh, which is I've always done just a gallon. But I don't do, you know, you can't call me up and buy one of those. No, I think people people so, don't appreciate there is there is labour and time oh, involved in decanting into lots of little yeah. bottles. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> that has a cost. It's nuts. <laughs> Why is this small bottle so expensive? Well, because it takes me an hour to fill about 50 of them or, or less. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, then I've got to put all the labels on. Then I've got to, you know, put the lids on. They've all got to be sterilised. Everything's, 
Yeah, it's yeah. not a five minute job. Well, this is why this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do these kinds of podcasts is to talk to people that make stuff because I think pretty much anyone thinks if it comes off a shelf, yeah, that it comes from like some magical place yeah, in a factory, exactly. And it's like if you buy it in like Boots or you know Walmart yeah, or something, then yeah, maybe yeah. it probably was. Yeah. But that's because millions of people are buying yeah. it. This is what we call this artisan. Is quite niche. Artisan. Yeah, it's like the French call these artisanal wines. You know, they're, yeah. they're made by artisans. Yeah. Yeah, so we did this great uh, zigzag of the States, which was excellent, saw everything. I saw, you know, lots of well-known sites, and uh, and I, I love the southern states where they, you just go into a, a petrol station, a gas station, and they've got this stuff in the station that you don't get over here, like moon pie and blueberry cheese bear claw, and it's like a honey bun. It's like, wow, what is this stuff? And so I ended up eating, the point of the story I was making was, I arrived in New York. We went four weeks up and down and back again. And I put on a stone, <laughs> uh, at least a stone. But the photographs are hilarious because I've got pictures of me arriving in New York. And then uh, there's a picture of me four weeks later with Dick Smith. And I've got the double chin. <laughs> it's like I put on that much weight in four weeks. <laughs> but it was. But in the in the meantime, what I was going to say was, um, uh, yeah, I got to meet Rick Baker for the first time in his work in his place in Glendale. Uh, I kind of, because obviously I knew I was, we were going all the way over the place, so I'd, I'd arranged it with both of them, because I, those were the two guys I wanted to meet. And um, so, yeah, I got to, to have a look around Rick Baker's shop. He had a lot of dinosaurs that were this tall, and they were doing weird and wonderful paint jobs on like bright colours and things, and just testing paint jobs. Making moulds of tails in epoxical moulds. The epoxical moulds were all the rage at them. You know, Dick's epoxical, which is, you know, he used on Little Big Man basically epoxy cow mold, didn't he? It was an epoxy gel coat backed up with the ultra cow. I don't know if he used it much in between, but he kind of went back to them. the epoxy and just epoxy on Amadeus. He, used to, he had an epoxy negative. It was a, it was like a black epoxy, which had walked a bit, and I think he put a couple of anim, aluminium rods in it to, to try and stop That's the walkage because it didn't bolt anything together. Right. Like a thin epoxy mold, but no, no bolt holes. Right. Um... So I guess it's all right unless you're subjecting it to heat for periods of time. Which yeah, but you would, it would be silicon, foam. But with foam. Yeah, it was foam. You would, yeah. yeah but I guess those aluminium rods. I mean, hey, makeup looked all right. It looked yeah, all right. You did all right. Yeah, I think I think we can were... uh, agree that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was interesting. It was brilliant to see that. But um, so I went uh, in California, and um, I was I was telling you the story that uh, I went to California, met uh, Rick, and had this. Nice tour of his workshop, fantastic. He had the gorilla head from Gorillas in the Mist there on display, and lovely. And there's coming to America makeups, the Eddie Murphy oh old age makeups, just just you know on display bus, yeah. nicely painted. I think he said this. We don't really do that over here, do we? we no, we have the space to lay <sighs> you know out like we a, don't. an exhibition area. No, you know, you walk into some that workshop. I mean, that workshop didn't have a, like a big, you know, reception area with all this amazing stuff on display. Like I guess they all do now. Well, that now they haven't now they've shut down and they don't anymore. But they went through a, certainly a period. Didn't they? Mm. Rick Baker's amazing, you know, and like Steve Johnson's place and Stan Winston's place, where you walk in and see all the. Uh, but uh, no, we don't. Have, you walk I think into the square footage costs so much we can't yeah. afford to give up. No, exactly four yeah. or five hundred square uh, feet well, to sort of showing off how good the stuff is, which is a shame because that that's the kind of thing that would help you kind yeah, of get yeah you know get the business. No, I suppose no. you have to do a bit of both. Coming back to me being, you know, stone heavier, I did get to meet Dick at the end. I found him. I found him up and said, uh, "I'm back. I'm back in New York." You said it'd probably be all right now uh, to come and pop and see you. And he said, "Oh, I'm, I'm still 
I'm really quite busy. I'm, I'm, you know, he was putting me off again. And uh, I haven't really got, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to Florida, I'm packing up and it's not good at the minute. And oh no, I thought I've got to meet Dick Smith. Oh, this is my only opportunity. You know, I'm never gonna, I'm not going to be, well, I might be coming back, but hey. I said, look, uh, oh, okay. Well, look, I don't, I don't, I don't need to come in or anything. I don't want to waste your time. I just want to shake your hand. I just, I literally, I just want to drive, <laughs> meet you, shake your hand and go. And he said, oh, well, well, I can't really say no to that, can I? So he, so, so he, he said, come and meet me. And, and then of course he invited me in and spent, you know, hours just showing me around with enthusiasm, you know, his workshop in the basement and it was brilliant. You went to brilliant. the basement? Yeah. Amazing. Because oh, uh, I, I, I was literally thing. prepared just to say hello, Dick. I just always wanted to meet you. Mm. And, um, but he, yeah, invited me in and gave me, oh, amazing, a few hours of just, you know, this is the basement. This is Dick Smith's basement. Wow, and um, you were lucky to go. Oh, well, you know. well, yeah, because he was. This was just when he was gearing up to move. I wonder if he lives there now, and if they know <laughs> what happened. You know, there, it's just this where the laundry yeah. gets done. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, this is where the exorcism. <laughs> you know? Oh no, amazing! But he, he he was enthusiastic then. You know, even though he's just really retiring, come. I'd ask him a question. I'd say, hey, come, I'll show you. Come, come with you know, and he gave me a, a little big man eyelid. You know, blinking eyelid and. Uh, which I kept in a, unfortunately, a plastic container which allowed sunlight to get to it, so it's not in the best, best condition. But, yeah, uh, he probably had those sort of run by the thousand just so you could give them to me. <laughs> You've got to give When someone comes, give them one of these things. But, <laughs> but um, it was great. And, um, yeah, the Amadeus mole, that was something that was interesting. It was really, 91, Gordon Smith was just starting with the silicon stuff. Yeah. And he was working on, or he just finished on um, Death Becomes Her, I think. Dick Smith had worked on this, but he, I don't know if they use, I think they use some silicon stuff on a neck or something, but he had a, a jowl piece. I think it was just, I think it was just jowls um, in a silicone. And uh, he showed me it and said, this is Gordon Smith sent me this to have a look at, but you know, it's um, the edges are really quite thick and you can't do much, you know, I'm not sure how you'd be able to get rid of this. So it was very much the early days of silicon and it was, um, the silicon had been produced in a in a in a red, ruddy sort of fleshy, you know, almost like under painting stuff in the you know in the in the in the red, or the rosy red color. And um, but yeah, the edges were you know you could see the edges, they were not going to blend away. They, it just wasn't possible. But but um, it was interesting because just as I guess Dick was really just retiring and coming out of it that's when that silicon was all just starting to happen and he was taking an interest in it and he looked at it and he, as I say he'd done some testing on it for Death Becomes Her because uh, I don't know if he got Gordon Smith to run the stuff or whatever but it uh, wasn't usable so they didn't use it but um, interesting to see it and uh, he yeah the Armadeus mould I was fascinated by because it was this epoxy thin you know epoxy mould which was just a, a lightweight kind of shell with the aluminium rods um yeah walked a bit he said but i guess he managed to get good pieces out so so it was great um yeah but very lucky very very lucky and i i mean it was it's you know it's one of those occasions where you're sort of it's almost like a dream going on oh. so it's almost a blur and i remember certain th I, what i remember most is him being you know just happy to chat about it you know and enthusiastic you know i'd it's, I'd, I'd remind him about. I'd say, I'll ask a question about something, and he go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, as if you'd have a thing, and he yeah, knew where that thing yeah, was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That was great. But um, and I think he was my inspiration, and uh, obviously everybody's inspiration. But but the idea of working from your home was something that I got from him, I think, and uh, Chris Tucker as well. Mm. 
because you know Chris Tucker's massive mansion out near Reading. Um, he he had several workshops in that house. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like a massive Georgian mansion wow. with a it's enormous. And he, his living room's got a Chinese carpet that I'm talking about in eight, 1986 or something. The, the Chinese carpet is piled about three inches thick. <laughs> you walk on it's like sand, and it was it was uh, probably like a forty foot room and he had these company of wolves uh puppets in there just in the you know in the living room the burt puppet you know and the wolf puppet and um he just finished working on that but that was that was um funny because all i knew about chris tucker was what i had read in making a monster al taylor and sue roy yeah yeah so i knew that this guy christopher tucker was you know the english you know the top banana of prosthetics and and um but he hadn't even done the elephant man when that book was written Right. So I didn't even know he'd done the Elephant Man. So I, I raised to meet him, went to meet him, walked in, and there's the Elephant Man. Like, oh, oh, I didn't know you'd done that. He's like, what do you mean you didn't know? He's like, I got an Oscar for it. He's like famous for doing the Elephant Man, but I didn't know. Uh, it was weird, but um, he was he was um, somebody that really inspired me, I think. And he got me, really, he, his advice got me started Yeah. with um, Charles Fox. Just, you know, make up half a dozen noses and take them to Fox's, see if they want to buy them. And at the time, it, Fox's was the only shop, I think. Yeah. And Bob Bevan, who ran Charles Fox, thought of uh, thought I was a you know nice young lad, and he used to help me. He used to he used to sort of sometimes give me a product. I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I need that. I couldn't afford it, you know, pocket money. Fourteen ninety five for a block of plastilina, you know, and um, that wax wrapped Roma. Yeah, I loved it. I loved. It. I still would. Yeah. yeah, I would still use it uh, if it weren't for. All the problems with silicon, but um, I mean, there's probably within heavy text now. You could probably do stuff with it and yeah. you know seal it and use it. But uh, I've still got blocks of it out somewhere in the shed. But um, yeah, it was expensive. I know it was about four ninety five out there, four dollars, you know, a block. Whereas we're paying like fifteen quid here. Um, and that's back in the eighties. But uh, yeah, so Bob Bevan would sometimes give. This is a this is a reject, or is this a seconds or whatever? You know, have that ball cap put in your pocket, put in your pocket. So, Send me, he was really kind to me, you know. And um, so when I went in with these noses, oh, yeah, we'll take them. How much do you want? I don't know. How much do you pay for them? Pound each? we give you a pound each? Okay. So I was so selling noses to foxes for a pound each when I was 16, 17, I guess. Still at school. You know, I'd go, and then, and then they'd say, can you do some wounds? Can you do some uh, warts? Can you do spock ears? Okay, yeah. You know, so, so all that stuff. I would be, go, I'd go into to buy makeup for the school play because I was doing all makeup for the school play and while I was in there with the teacher who was paying for it they said oh while you're here can we have uh, you know a dozen bullet wounds and 20 pairs of spock ears and that you know so they were <laughs> a schoolboy buying the makeup for the school play and they're ordering latex pieces for me and um, a lot of those latex pieces I sculpted when I was about six you know whatever I was 17 and um, I didn't change them for years I mean they were still selling them in Foxes years later and in Screenface Robert Smith's Noses, you know, they sculpted when I was seventeen. Years that didn't have any skin texture on them, or, you know, they or they worn off from the mold. Yeah. yeah, they work. They, were, you know, for people learning, I guess, and for stage stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought with Serrano de Berger, it was alright. Copied the old um, Jose Ferrar one. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, that's how I really got into all that. Chris Tucker's advice and uh, the kindness of Bob Bevan at Foxes, and then John Danvers at Screenface. Who I, it was the same when Screenface opened up. There used to be a shop in, you know, do you remember when they were in? Was it Wardour Street? They were like under his chemist. Used to be a chemist shop in Wardour Street, and in the basement was Screenface. It was like a, it was run as a, as a, in fact, was it called Screenface? I think it was called Screenface. And um, the one in Notting Hill was the one I yeah. went. Well, that's to. when they moved. It was a guy called Daryl. Daryl used to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, 
That's as early as I went. Oh, okay. No, with it, yeah, they were. There was a chemist in Wardour Street on the corner somewhere, and in the basement was a screen post, and they. That's where I bought my first phone kit. I think Berman like, phone, like it's little dirty yes, little. Yeah, it was. Come out of that. like a misshapen stepchild or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get your shampoo and your yeah, and your and all that. And downstairs is where we keep yeah. all the all the gory stuff. That's out the back. That's where I bought Prosaid and uh, Berman foam and um, things that I hadn't really. You know, up until that point, I guess uh, I bought stuff from Foxes, but they didn't have hot foam latex. I think they only had a Cryolan system, a two, a three part, yeah, yeah, or whatever it was. Um, so I wanted to try Berman foam because I'd seen the guys at Coast to Coast using it. It was called actually Shram foam, I think, at the time. Yes, Charles Shram. So Shram foam latex, but that was bought out by Berman, so it became Berman foam. So um, yeah, so and then when Screenface, uh, I guess John Danvers, who was Mitter style. Bought Screenface out and set it up in Notting Hill because uh, he he made makeup mirrors and stuff. Mitterstall was makeup cases and mirrors, I think. And then he okay. bought, bought out Screenface, so they did the whole package. And of course, Maglin, his wife Maglin Gaffney was is a makeup artist. Was a makeup artist. And um, so I just you know when when he was setting up, and I guess the shop was brand new, and they were still sort of stocking up and sorting out whatever, unpacking really. Um, I've said you know I'm I'm making these noses and things and bits and bobs for foxes. Are you interested? And that really started a big relationship with him. And that's when the screen face blood happened as a result of all that. Um, and he would always be good at getting me jobs, makeup jobs, you know, prosthetic makeup jobs. Um, I used to get calls from people, oh, I got your number from Charles Fox. And, um, and that would be quite a frequent sort of thing. Um, so I got a lot of jobs just because I was in Foxes often and in Screenface on, you know. Mm-hmm. John Danvers of Screenface would call me out, so I got so-and-so who was interested in needs a prosthetic. Could you do this? Blah, blah, blah. How much? And it was kind of, um, that's how I got into the industry, through those two shops, basically. Mm-hmm. Not through any other sort of, and then the normal routes. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe working at Image Animation or whatever a lot of the other guys did, you know. I just, uh, I, I started as a guy that worked from home and did his own thing mm-hmm. from home. And I, and I always, this is the thing I always wanted to do, I think that drove me uh, more than anything else was to be my own boss and work from home. So I kind of, I've done that. But I had to subsidise my habit of prosthetic rent by doing other things like um, water treatment. Like, for instance, a friend of mine, uh, when he left school, he started working with his water treatment firm. You know, do you want to do a day's work? You know, just cleaning radiators and chlorinating water systems and whatever. So I ended up working for a company called Barfield Water Treatment for years, on and off, casual labour. You know, they just call me out, can you work next week? Yeah, I'm free next week. So so I would do that and um, earn a few quid doing that. Um, at the same time, earn a few quid selling products and blood and other rubber bits, you know. And between, you know, those sort of two things, it sort of made it viable for me to carry on just working for myself, yeah, you know. That's great. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, um, I'd just been very lucky, really. I've had a f- few times over the years, you know, it's, it's nearly 30 years, I've had a few times over the years where I thought, oh, why am I doing this? Yeah. I think I've got to do something else. <laughs> I've got to do something else. I've got to get a proper job. And um, But this last, I would say, since the kids have been, Tom's uh, coming up for 11, last 12 years or so, I've been pretty much non-stop, you know. And um, luckily... Uh, Thanks to people like Rob Allsop, who employs me to do a lot of phone running for him on a lot of shows like, um, oh, you know, Wizard of Oz or Wicked or any, any of these uh, West End shows or operas and, and um, those sort of long running shows that then go touring the world or the state or wherever, they, wherever they're off to. 
um, there's always a, you know, someone needs a foam nose or a, you know, whatever it is, Beauty and the Beast, you know, there's, there's certain shows that just need prosthetics all the time. Um, like Chris Tucker, obviously, with the Phantom of the Opera, it was like, when I met him, he wasn't, uh, he'd just finished Company of Walls, but his, his gig was Phantom of the Opera. And um, it, uh, that's all he needed to do, really. He already had a massive mansion. So, uh, you know, that was great. And um, I found out from him years later when I met him at IMAX, because I hadn't seen him for years. I'd phoned him a few times, but I only really uh, met him a couple of times. And then and then years later at IMAX. That's um, right. He company. was there, the yeah, first, yeah, yeah. I think the first London one. I said, I've been trying these, uh, you know, Tyrantes polymer um, and plaster and um, for foam latex, you know, moulds for foam and... Uh, it's sort of, you know, run a few of them and uh, the, the, the detail's breaking down, you know. Oh, you're not putting water in it, are you? I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm sort of doing the Dick Smith Acryl 60 thing, you know, you put 30% whatever it is, you know, mm. plaster water and a bit of the old polymer, but no, 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 you just follow these. I mean, on the Tarantis polymer, it's got the instructions, one third polymer, you know, one one part polymer, three parts plaster. Whatever. If you just follow that instruction, it's that's when it goes like rock hard. I think, you know, you've still got to have reinforcement and stuff, but uh, but it's pretty. As a surface. Pretty good. It's, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. And he was using that for his Phantom Opera stuff all those years. And he said, I'd get about 300 castings out of them. <laughs> and, um, and it doesn't stink to high heaven. Well, I it's guess. fiberglass. No, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I ran a lot of positives in that stuff. Mm. So I would have, a, uh, on Woman in White, in fact, I had plaster positives, that plaster and polymer positives, and fiberglass negatives. Right. And um, they worked. They were good. Um, not drilled. Just um, did I? I don't think I bolted. I, I might have bolted some of them, but I use bulldog clips a lot. I just yes, I think that works well. Yeah. So I, most of the foam stuff I do because I mean the edges are still good anyway. But if if the edge is a tiny bit thick on foam, you just press it flat with prosthetic, don't you? I mean, if yeah. your foam's soft enough and it's not you can actually air. compress it. With yeah. yeah, absolutely but, right. Yeah. You know, it's that's it's that you know, in cross section magnified ten thousand times, that edge is that thick, but it's only ten percent rubber, so it will, it will go to nothing when you when you press it flat. So yeah. So I don't really have a, an issue like if if the foam's dense, like a three or four volume foam, then obviously yeah. your edge is, is going to be a problem. But if you're doing that like that super softy stuff, like twelve plus volume foam, it just mm. it just all edges go to nothing. Um, so. Uh, so it's not so much an issue, but yeah, using bulldog clips and plaster positive, fiberglass negative, as long as the edge of the mould is near the edge of the piece, so your bulldog clips right on the, you know, on the cutting edge. Sort of thing, uh, I found that worked great. And on certain shows like Beauty and the Beast, where I'm uh, not making the moulds, but Rob also, his guys are making those. Um, they, uh, I just had, I think on on a on a beast face, full face. A full face thing. Actually, it's the full face of the chin as well. Just four bulldog clips, a uh, fold back clips. You know, they mm-hmm. they were fine, and um, and I got uh, you know perfectly good edges out. Everything was great. So and much for, quicker than bolts. And yeah. Oh, things, you know, sometimes if I if I think an edge has got to be perfect and it's going to be on HD or something, not that a foam latex, not that happens very much these days, but I would clamp it initially and then go back and bolt it. You know, while it, but the clamps keep it there just while it's gelling, just in case it gels before you get the bolt in. But, but yeah, no, I mean most of the um, most of the jobs, it's just the it's just a fold back clip. Yeah. Uh, Wizard of Oz, witches' noses, chins, couple of fold back clips on each mould, and, and you can get stronger yeah. clips as well. So. You can. I mean, the thing is with with cooking them, um, 
I've tried some of these plastic, you know, ratchet things where you, I mean, they're great. Those clamps are great, but then you can't really cook them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, over the years I've used uh, proper G clamps, you know, metal ones. But um, the problem is they they do take a lot of heat away. Yeah. So you end up having to cook things longer. But, yeah. So I'm trying to avoid that now. But mostly, um, yeah, smaller pieces, it's just the, the fold-back clips, really. What was that? That was me doing Rob's guitar. It's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Minutes well, of practice. I wanted to, uh, to, 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 we have a lot of emails and stuff. We get a lot of things through Facebook as well. Um, but I've had two this week at least. And what was interesting was they were both uh, something similar that was mentioned in Prosthetics Magazine. Um, if you're doing like a college course, you may have been compelled to write uh, a dissertation or a paper um, regarding the effects of computer imagery in makeup effects and whether or not it's going to uh, A, help hinder or destroy the uh, the industry of practical makeup effects. And it's interesting the amount of people that email me that question. I'm sure you get that similar. similarly. Uh, and it's kind of like, well... The fact that lots of people asking the same question. I had this email like of the day after the trade show. Uh, this uh, we should do a podcast about that. Well, we did a little bit, and we need to do more of that. And that's why I wanted to open the question. But weirdly, I don't. I think the people that had emailed in the question or asked the question hadn't heard that podcast yet. But it uh, it was interesting that in Prosthetics Magazine, the last one, number five, Neil mentioned in his editorial introduction at the beginning, like you know he gets several of those a week. And I, I kind of want everyone to know if you're writing a dissertation about computer use and makeup effects and how it's affecting the film industry, that is a well-trodden path. And not that it's not a noble thing to pursue, but you must understand that is the least original subject for a paper at the moment. And if no one's told you that, we're telling you that. because <laughs> It's the dissertation version of beer can in the forehead. Or zipper face. And it's the kind of thing where you kind of think – we need to have a kind of a consensus on this thing because I think a lot of people are reinventing the wheel about this subject. And I think it's completely understandable that if you are a makeup person and that's what you've been training and that's what you sunk your soul and life into the notion that there's this kind of technology that you've heard of whispers about that you feel could replace everything you do. That is not an unreasonable thing to want to study. So sure. I, I, I'm not denigrating the question. I'm just, I think it, we'd be doing a disservice by not pointing out that other people have said the same thing. So I think it's, it, it's worth maybe collating and, and, and either going to the, to the board or whoever it is that sets the dissertation questions. And if they make it a necessary part of the course, then that person who made that decision needs to slap around the face. But it's, it's kind of like it, 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 it it's, it's a well-trodden path. And I think a lot of people are asking the same people the same questions. And it, it's kind of annoying because you kind of want to say, well, why don't you just write it down in one place and everyone go back there and read the same answers? Because otherwise you, you end up saying the same thing 50 times. Um, and it, 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 but at the same time, like Neil, find something else to be concerned about. Find something else to be concerned about, but also I, I do feel that perhaps it's not being addressed properly uh, by the college, probably because not in all fairness, the tutors that are teaching their course don't know themselves. Um, and I think that is part of the problem. I think this is a new enough area. I think computer technology and the ability to be able to render things photorealistic in video is, is still a relatively new thing. And I think it's, it's kind of upsetting people. And I, 
I think the the truth is that people that know a lot of practical stuff probably are sufficiently removed from the the digital side of things to not really know. And similarly, they the digital people probably don't necessarily know the makeup side of things to be able to see what it is that's replacing. So it, it it's a brave new world, and I don't think everyone has the answers. And there are there are articles like I think in, again I'm saying back to Prosthetics Magazine, but there was one issue one I think it was or two that Neil was interviewing Todd Masters, and there's a really really mm-hmm. good piece in there about uh, Masters. And Todd's effects. a great example of um, somebody who's probably close to the forefront of this where his company masters effects is doing both yes and who better because they understand because they understand both sides of it they can provide what what producers and directors need better than than some simply because they're on both sides of that fence yeah yeah it's true I, i i think uh I think I think you've got to know both sides well enough to be able to make an informed decision. Um, but it is that thing of like, if you only know makeup, then you sort of, oh, it's like it's when when you hear about makeup artists asking about computers and whether it's going to change anything. It's kind of like hearing your grandparents asking if Google is a big deal. It, it's kind of like, well, you know, it, it, it sounds woefully under informed when someone asks that question because it's like well yeah of course it does mm-hmm. but perhaps not in the way you think and also i think the thing is that i don't necessarily think that if you've made the decision if you folded your arms and saying well digital is completely separate for me it's kind of like well that's like saying uh, the secretary writes my emails for me it's like well most people write their own emails <laughs> Do you know what i mean whereas maybe you know 50 years ago or 60 years ago if you were an executive, you might have had a secretary that write everything from, you know, Mavis, take a letter. Exactly. That kind of thing. But but I think most people now just write stuff because there are, there's either software that does it for them or they can do it themselves. The point is things change. And I think I think you owe it to yourself. If if you if you used to use like, you know, foam latex and now you use silicon, um, that was because a new material came along. and you, you you chose to learn about it. And I think it's the same with you know digital stuff i don't don't necessarily think there's there's us and them i think it's like no it's you i mean i use a computer for all kinds of things i use it for emails i use it for videos i use it for recording this podcast why wouldn't i also use it to help design my creatures it's like it it i i think the division is is the illusion and it it kind of bugs one of the tools out there scares you learn as much about it as you can so that you can move on yeah well i i think it scares people because I hate to say it, but I think a lot of colleges, I think the tutors are the ones that don't know about it. So therefore the students don't know about it. And I, you know, it, it's a, it's a bit of a, of a, of a, of a, of a mean thing to say, but I honestly think there's perhaps a lot of people that, that maybe teach it that have never taught, uh, sorry, that, that only have taught it. They never worked in the industry. And consequently mm-hmm. that they're, they're so far removed from the nuts and bolts of how it actually works that of course they're not able to pass it on to the students because they don't know themselves. There was yeah, a very no, good... well, you you know you know that I I that's that's the field I come from. I came yeah, uh, yeah. to make up effects from visual effects, mm-hmm. um, and I just because I'm a tactile person, I like to touch the stuff I'm working on. I don't like CGI any less than I did. I just needed a change. Yeah, and I'm the same with regards to like, you know, I I've, I I I don't dislike digital side of things because I do practical. 
Um, I'm a little bit in awe of it because I don't know it as well. I'm, I'm not anywhere near as versed as you about it. Um, but I'm, I'm drawn to it. I'm interested in it. But because I think there's something genuinely valuable within it that I think I can use. And I, I, I don't think it's beyond me to learn it, use it and acquire it. Um, no, so, absolutely not. But I think I think because it's such a, a recent thing, I don't think there's a sort of a history of people who are comfortable enough with it to sort of explain it and codify it for other people in the way that we can do it with mascara and lipstick. So I, I just it just has that. Like I was teaching in a, a, a place the other week and they've got this really nice facility. They've got a nice studio. They've got a phone room they've got these, and they've got one 3D printer. And it's like it seems to me that there should be lots more 3d printers and when it breaks down lots of people should know how to fix it because it shouldn't be this rarefied you know obscure magical you know dark art i think it's like that day is coming my blow friend. that shit wide open let everyone have one let everyone have, know how to use it you know like like typing isn't just the provide i mean i remember i think i said in the last podcast like i remember being at school we had typing lessons i remember sitting Mm-hmm. at a desk with a, a manual typewriter and it was the Pittman whatever training and it was like you know learning to type without looking at the keyboard and we had these sentences and phrases we would type out manually and you you trained to not yeah I had to do that in high school and and we did it in college back mm-hmm. the day boy the computers when I was in college were the size of a of your kitchen you, mm-hmm. you had to program everything with punch cards yeah it was all you know big and it, it, it was hard to believe then that computers would be an everyday part of life and now you know that's down to you know a phone that's in your pocket that's connected to the internet all the time and and you you know you type rapidly with your thumb <laughs> Who would have known that typing was something we would all do all the time? Oh, yeah, I've heard the analogy that the first Macintosh computer was more powerful than all of the computers that put us on the moon. And now I'm holding a, a smartphone in my hand that's more powerful than that. <laughs> so it's all come around really, really quickly. So, I, I you know, with, with, with people who are writing dissertations about it and papers about it, I, A, I want you to realize that you are not the only one to have thought this is a very important subject um there probably needs to be like a facebook group or a book or some kind of something to bring these thoughts together because i I just worry that lots of people are reinventing the wheel asking the same questions and they don't realize that there's somebody in the next room asking the same questions who's just as confused as them and it's kind of like you know when you when you find out some something like this you kind of want everyone to kind of group together and, and marshal their forces and try and figure it out rather than independently be upset and not realize that this is not a unique experience because every industry is undergoing the yep. same the same kind of uh, transformation. And, um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. <laughs> I really don't. And I say that as a practical effects person who whose work is 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 directly influenced by it because I, I don't necessarily. No, I, 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 I don't agree think with you. Have you have to turn your back to it. I really don't. A change is essential for growth. So uh, so bear that in mind. <laughs> Email us your questions. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe Enough we could have a board. We could, what we do you could, think of us? Well, we we could maybe have a you know like like all these different questions we could put together. But I do think I think a lot of people are, they're going to ask the same question in different ways, and I think it'd be quite nice to kind of consolidate them into a series of of uh, of basic questions, and then maybe go to a few different places. Maybe we should try and hook up with some digital people and people like Masters Effects and like this and and try and kind of come to 
some kind of because these things are going to constantly change and fluctuate. Sure, and I, I think Caesar Dacol would be would be somebody great to talk to. Um, he made the switch from practical effects to CGI about the same time I switched the, the other, other way. way. <laughs> yeah, almost yes. almost at exactly the same time. I think that's a great idea, and also Rod Maxwell as well. I have asked him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think yeah, Rod Rod is a a guy that wears many hats. But again, I don't. I don't want it to just be a case of, of like, oh, here are you new, you new masters, and be happy with them. I want it to be a, an honest and frank discussion with people. Um, but more importantly, I want to kind of paint a roadmap as to how they can actually start doing it themselves. For example, there is um, like ZBrush is a very very popular program. Um, there's going to be a, a program called ZBrush Core, which is like a stripped down version of ZBrush. I don't know if you heard of that. Yeah. It's come out recently. And it, it just basically doesn't have all the animation stuff because a lot of people that use ZBrush aren't interested in animating. They just want to sculpt. And a lot of the tools that are in it are animation related. So to strip that out, it just means it's a simpler program. So they're selling that for, I think it's Well, there's digital tutors. There's, there's lynda.com. There's the Stan Winston School. They've all got got training in oh they've all got the they've all they've all got training but that they're all they're all paid for training but i was thinking the other thing i wanted to point out was there is sculptress which is a free program is a free program it's basically a gateway drug to zbrush but the point is it's a free program it's a stand and you can't break it you can't break try it it out and start doing stuff with it yeah but look up sculptress i'll put it i'll put um, a link to it on the on the blog post for this but sculptress cool. is a free sculpting program it's not as extensive as zbrush but it's fucking free and it means you can start using it look at some tutorials on youtube there are plenty of, uh, of tutorials um and it just means you can start getting a feel for you know working in three dimensions with a computer for nothing when mm-hmm. virtual clay and just, you know, try and try, try and out for yourself because to be honest, I think you might be surprised. And that's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Did we <laughs> did we already go through the questions? What like, were the questions? Um, I found I found that one I was that I was the, do you think that audiences prefer practical effects or CGI? I think audiences don't care. Audiences do not care. I think that's a big, big deal. I think people have to understand that. Because the thing is, when you ask that kind of question, you're coming at from a makeup artist's point of view. Most people who go to the movies don't don't give a shit about the people that made the movie. They just want to see the film, and they don't care how, mm-hmm. how how it was achieved. And if something doesn't look right, they don't, they won't know whether it's because the makeup artist sucked or the CGI was bad. Exactly, and they, they just know something something didn't look right, and I'm I'm not going to come see this movie again. Well, the, here's the thing, and it's that kind of thing where if something looks shit, it's possible that audiences are not discerning enough to give a crap. But if you see it and you're upset about it, what are you going to do about it? Are you going? Yeah, well, I, I think that also speaks to to some of the stuff where you see see these horrific makeups being posted by by wannabes on on Facebook or Instagram or or whatever and they're getting this all of these likes and comments from their friends going oh that's spectacular that is so cool so realistic and you look at it and go are we looking at the same picture yeah and cuz what i saw was crap yeah and it, it it's interesting because it, it it's i mean i get this when i'm doing classes where you know, if I've got someone for a couple of days, I can kind of drill deep into this and, and, and get people excited about the right things. 
But it's weird how a lot of that, that a lot of that can kind of come off and sound like you're just being kind of like shitty with someone, even mm-hmm. though what you're saying is true. It's just the fact that you're not worshiping them or giving them props like they're used to. That in itself is enough. And you've seen it enough when you watch something like the X Factor or something. You get some deluded idiot who's who's only ever sung in front of their family, <laughs> who who have a vested interest in them not having their ego destroyed, will say they sound wonderful, and then for the first time ever, you know, someone that actually has to make money off of their voice tells them they can't sing and they're just destroyed by it and we're entertained by their reaction and it's like yeah but the truth is you know if you look at really really good singers are you as good as luther vandross can you sing as well as barry Wright? are you barry white you know if you can't if you're not as good as those people then you're not that's what we're already spending our money on so that's one of the things i loved about simon cowell on american uh on american idol he could certainly have said things a little more diplomatically, but I have to say almost 100% of the time I agreed with what he was saying about the people he was listening to. Well, I mean, I think he made, you know, a whole sort of, you know, a character of himself as being this kind of like ruthless kind of like mean guy, which you know he kind of was. But at the same time, it feels like that is what he was saying wasn't wrong. What he was saying wasn't wrong, but it, it, it's almost like it's funny and effective because – Nowadays, people are kind of conditioned to spare people's feelings in case they are offended, in case they're upset and whatever. And I think the truth is... You need to get to my safe space. With with, uh, stuff like makeup effects or any kind of job where, you know, you get paid to be doing creative stuff, all that really happens is if you're not that good, people just don't hire you again. So you never really hear genuine feedback no one ever tells you what you've actually got to do to pick your shit up and sort it out they just mm-hmm. don't hire you back so there is some value in actually someone taking the time to set you aside and go okay this is crap but here is why it's crap and here's what you've got to do you know give them a roadmap to get out but i don't necessarily think a lot of people want to hear that they just want to hear nice things because they're so used to hearing nice yeah. things that if someone isn't offering them and spoon feeding them you know ego food then they can just feel awful inside. And that that's a real shame because it gets in the way of things, especially with things like makeup effects where like, and they never grow as an artist. They never grow as an artist and they never welcome the lessons that mistakes and errors are presenting in abundance because it feels nasty to have a mistake. It feels unpleasant to fail, but that's, that is where the lessons are. Um, but someone needs to yeah, point absolutely. Out to you. There, without making mistakes, there is no learning. Yeah, someone's actually got to point these things out to you. And I enjoy doing those kinds of things in classes, but I'm not there to kind of bolster your ego. I mean, that's kind of one of those things. Like when I teach a class, one of the things I say is like, understand this: the first time you do this is probably going to be fucking shit. The thing you stick on is going to look awful, but we will take pictures of the thing you did that was awful, and then we'll do it again the next day, and it'll be. A hundred percent better because you'll have found out, you know, several big things to not do. And, you know, you've got to be able to weather that. And I think regardless of what the industry you're in, if you're in the computer industry, you're doing digital art stuff and animation, you're going to have the same problem. You're going to spend ages rigging something, making up code, doing whatever, and it's going to go to shit. It's going to not work. And you have to be able to get past that. Um, because if someone's taught you that the world is this magical place where everything goes right all the time, you're going to have a really hard fall when you start being in a position where the things you do affect other people and, and make or lose money for people. That's when the shit really starts hitting the fan. And I think, I don't necessarily think that colleges 
are doing a great job of preparing people to think that way because, and here's the thing, and I did a blog post about this ages ago. Um, when you were an apprentice years ago, you had a job, you were given a job because you were deemed worthy or you had enough skill and flair for it. And if you didn't make the grade, you were fired. So the, the pressure and the power existed with the people that hired you. Um, whereas when you start a college degree or you pay to do a course, you arrive having paid. You are already a consumer. You start the course owed. You are already owed. Something. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, and, I, I remember this blog post now. And and the thing is, you could be fucking appalling. This, this, and that not, sense of not, entitlement. Yeah, you could be not suited to this job at all. But in its wisdom, the college needs your nine thousand pounds a year, so they have accepted you. And because of that, there's a there's a, a portion of people I think who are doing degrees or creative degrees now, where you need to have a bunch of shit sorted out in your head before you start. Um, who are not or their, their qualification is they have enough money to do the course and they're kind of fucking up for the other people that really really want to do it and if you're on one of those courses you'll know what i mean and if you don't feel like that you're probably the person in question <laughs> do you know what i mean i think i used to teach at one of those schools do you know what i mean and it, it, it does yeah. annoy me if there's 20 people in a group there's four or five people who are there because law and medicine sounded too hard you know, they thought makeup would be easy. So they're there by definition because they figured it would be an easy ride. And frankly, no one wants average or entry level effort from anybody, you know. So I, it, it, it's a hard lesson to kind of learn. But I, I do think people need to kind of um, um, there are a lot of people that work really, really hard. But I'm saying if you work hard in a place like a college, you'll probably know people in your class who would rather not be there, who turn up late, who don't you know, put the effort in, but they're there because their dad said they should be uh, because they want them out of the house. And, you know, it sounded easy and, and you kind of go, well, mm-hmm. that's not really going to be the best of anything. is." It? <laughs> Whereas if you have, a, if that was your job and you like fucked up three weeks in a row, you wouldn't be back for week four. You'd been fired by now, but that doesn't happen when you've paid right. to do something because you are owed. And I, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but over here with degrees, and I can say this because I don't work, full-time for colleges if a student decides to leave they uh the first port of call is the tutor they're they're they're, they're kind of dragged over the coals as to why they are not retaining students even if the fact that that student is there is you know they they don't want to be there but because they've left they've taken their nine grand with them the college are upset about that and they want to know why as a tutor you haven't done a better job of retaining them. You know, the fact that right. maybe because that person shouldn't fucking be there in the first place is not a thing that can come up. Well, you know, I've, I've had animation students uh, in a program wanting to become animators because they like to watch cartoons. <laughs> I like food. Does that mean I should be a chef? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, eating food and, and working in a kitchen are not the same thing. Just a little different. (laughs) But, you know, all that stuff aside, I tell my students, you know, you're learning how to play make-believe for a living. You know, how cool is that? So turn up on time (laughs) and smile. Turn up on time, do the work, and don't be a baby. Well, that was fun. (laughs) What's the kind of stuff I talk about in workshops all the time? But it it does matter to me because as I, I think the thing is I've gotten older. I, I, I know about myself now. I really care about how things are done, how things are made. I actually think I care more about how things are made than what they're made for. 
And so the process of manufacture and the, and, and the, the thought that goes into how things are done and how it feels to fail, those things matter to me. And I do not see that successfully understood in a lot of places where people get taught and, uh, it, it's not an easy thing to say. It's not anything to hear. Uh, and consequently, it's not a popular view. But I kind of don't give a shit. But it, I, but it's true. <laughs> it, it's kind of true. <laughs> um, so there you go. It's definitely true that the the world of work is changing, especially in this industry. It's very, very uh, different, I suppose, than how it was. And you know, things shift as things go by. And I don't necessarily think anyone working in the industry now knows exactly how it's going to change because they themselves are as much a victim of its change as the people who are looking at it from the sidelines. Um, uh, that's why I think the best way to approach it is to give yourself to it fully and, and master it yourself. Learn ZBrush, learn how to sculpt, learn how to life draw and, and just get really good at it and actually become involved in the change itself rather than sit there. It's kind of like the housing market when people worry something's going to happen and no one buys any houses and then it becomes its own, you know, the fear of it is it then becomes the thing that causes the thing to happen. It's like, yeah, well, it's a, it's know? a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And like, if you're not sure, then, then just get on board. I think a lot of people are waiting for a complete and utter assurance before they take one step forward. And that's not going to happen because no one really, the technology is changing all the time. But I tell you what, despite the technology changing, the things that are not changing are being able to draw well, being able to sculpt well and understanding the human body and how it looks. If you can render that and you can play with those elements and make those things look cool, regardless of the format, that is ultimately what people want to see. And I think... Yes, and just just be a certain that the computer will not do it for you. No, because whatever the computer does, it will do, make it easier. But you still have to know you you've still got to have the skills. Yeah, exactly. I mean, whatever the computer does do for you, you put that same you know bunch of tricks and techniques and and, and software in the hands of somebody that can can understand sculpting and can understand drawing. They'll still produce something better because. It's just a tool. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, it, and the tool's only as good as the operator. Yeah, you've really, really got to know your stuff. So I think, I think the thing I would say to take away from this is, regardless of, don't don't focus too much on what techniques and whether I should be an animator or this, that, the other. If you're interested in rendering the human, unless you're interested in architecture and buildings, if the thing you want to create looks like you know creatures and animals, study those things, draw them, go to life drawing classes, go to life sculpting classes. Learn how to sculpt, learn how to draw, learn how to use ZBrush and just, you know, get to a point where you're so familiar with it as a medium, it ceases to be the difficult thing. You know, you actually just know how to do those things and then you can take that and it's utterly transferable to other things. Absolutely. Um, rather than invest yourself in how to use ZBrush. If the thing you learn with ZBrush is <coughs> not how to sculpt, you know, if you know the software back to front, but you don't actually know how the human body works that's kind of useless that's like knowing the alphabet but still not being able to write a story it's like you know just writing the alphabet out lots of times doesn't make it a great fucking book you know the the, the story yeah. creating a great wrinkle brush for zbrush is useless if you don't know how the human skin wrinkles exactly so study that you know draw you know have a bunch of portraits of grandparents and, and sculpt them you know anything just just really really get to it and i think that's the thing that's missing a lot of people are like 
trying to think of where they can go next or what software they should use and all this kind of stuff. And no one's really saying, no, the hard thing is, you know, learning how to sculpt, learning how to draw. Um, and those yeah, things, software is going to change. Software is going to change, but what you do with the software kind of doesn't. So, you know, pencil, paper, charcoal, whatever, and just, just start, start making, start drawing, start doing it. Likenesses is something I don't, I'm, I'm not very good at likenesses. And so I need to work on that. Yeah, it's one of those things that's very hard to do, but I think it, 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 the skill comes from in the trying. It's not just about doing it once or twice. No, and it's, 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 and it, it's but... trying and trying and trying. Yeah. You're not going to get it one time out. No, but it, it, it's the act of attempting to do it, I think, is, is, is where the growth takes place. And like anything, like, 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 you know, building muscle, it's like, it's hard work and it's painful, but slowly it sure. grows. It's it like grows. observational skills requires practice as well. Mm hmm. And I think the thing is, it's hard to gauge whether or not you're doing well because there isn't necessarily like like if you do if you work out, your arms hurt, and someone can say, oh that that that's hurt because of the lactic acid buildup, which means you've torn muscle fibers, and that's why, and they're growing back stronger, and you know pretty soon you start seeing results. But you don't necessarily get that with sort of drawing or sculpting, you know, because it can be objective because you can go, oh shit, I'm not very good, and no one's kind of saying, yeah, but look at the stuff you did before, and you start seeing you know slow progress. So. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's kind of wrestling with those awkward feelings of, you know, without necessarily actually having positive feedbacks. It, it's, a, it's a hard thing to wade through. But um, you know what? We're, we we do this kind of stuff a lot, and I know how it feels. <laughs> it's the same, you know, popping out podcasts and uh, or, or writing a blog post. You don't know until someone says, you know, you don't know whether it's it's, it's going out or if anyone's even hearing it, you know. Yeah. And and it. it but, but at the end of the day, you do what you want to do because you, you've got to do it. There's no other way. There's no option. It's like I saw a post know, that Steve Johnson a... was saying about his, his rubberhead book and he was like not sure if he was doing the right things. He'd had some rough reviews from some friends who had preview copies and everything. And it was like, you know, I heard on Creature Geek, he read a, a passage from the, uh, the Slimer episode, uh, the Slimer chapter where he was talking about mm -hmm. sculpting it with him. It was just like, it was fucking brilliant. I mean, it was really good, but I can understand why when someone bears their soul, especially to that extent where it's a really thorough piece of work, you know, that if you don't get anything, you know, if you get nothing, you, you, you hope to get nothing but good reviews and, and, well, plays. that's part, that's, you know, again, comes back to, to the nature of being an artist. We're never satisfied with our work. And even if we're doing a work for hire where somebody's given us a design, to sculpt or to, to paint or, or whatever, we're still putting a part of us into it. Mm -hmm. And if feedback comes back, that's not what we had expected. It hurts at whatever, it doesn't matter what level you're at. Mm -hmm. It's still, it's still a little bit of a dig and you never get completely used to that. At least I, I haven't, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it's just the way it goes. So if you create something, you kind of have to build into that a certain amount of pain in, <laughs> you know, even if it's good stuff, sure. you're going to get people that, that, that say bad things about it. It just, it, I guess it depends on this embryonic stage that you hear early on something good to make you come back for more. Because yeah, growing like, a thick skin is, is easier said than done. It's something that we need yeah, to do. But yeah, it is hard. But you know you what? Know, the other thing, I mean, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and sometimes they stink. You know, it's just like I was, I was reading, <laughs> there was something that mentioned something about Amazon. If you think of the best book you've ever read, okay? If you think of the, your favorite book of all time, 
you will find a bad review for that book on Amazon. That doesn't mean that it's a bad book. It just means that not everyone likes it, you know. So uh, the fact that, you know, the best book in the world may get a bad review, that should encourage you to understand that, you know, you're going to get yeah. shit too, you know. I think when you when you deliver something you've worked hard on, you're raw and you're, you know, you're vulnerable in a way. And um, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to say that I, I think that that is the the thing about creating anything is you 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 put yourself out there, you stick your head above the parapet, and and someone somewhere is going to say something shitty about something you poured your heart and soul into, and expect that to happen and expect that to feel shitty, but also know that you're in good company because that happens to everybody. Um, and I think the only people that nothing like that happens to are people that don't create anything. Um, and instead mm-hmm. they live in, they who, live in a kind give, of given up or aren't trying hard yeah, enough. And they live in a vacuum of like, well, they don't give a shit anyway. So they're not, you know, like people that close themselves up and there's nothing new coming in that, that, that isn't an, a good alternative. You know, it might be without pain, but it's also without pleasure. So I, I, I think, yeah. From what I saw of that Steve Johnson thing, and I was like, no, you've got to create. You have to do this. It's like, there's no way you shouldn't do that. And you know, Yeah, no, and he's, a, he's a good writer. He's a good, he's a fucking good writer. And I feel bad for him for having heard maybe something that didn't please him. But all I know is from the things I've read of his that I've seen consistently been good. And I don't believe that when Rubberhead comes out, I'm going to be disappointed. I think it's going to be fucking spectacular. So keep on, Steve. I think it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and, on, uh, brother. Uh, and that that goes on to, to anybody else that creates anything as well. You may create something that you know you, you just didn't get necessarily the. Great never give you. up. Never surrender. No, just keep, keep fucking creating. Away. I mean, the thing is, you've got to create because you want to create. That's why you're doing it. You're not you're not doing it for praise. It's nice when people say something nice, but your motivation for doing it in the first instance is because you want to do it because you feel compelled to do yeah. it. Yeah. You should be doing it because you can't not do it. Yeah, exactly. You'd feel terrible if you didn't. And uh, Oh, shut up. I'm being an idiot now. I've got nothing more to say. I, I think I'm spent. It's very late. I've had a very busy day with the class, but it was fantastic. Well, yeah. Well, we've, so we're seven hours difference between Denver and Belfast. Yeah. Well, I'm a little more west in Belfast than I am in London, so I'm a little bit closer, but that doesn't change the yeah. time zones, unfortunately. What time is it there now? It's... It is now a quarter to 11 in the evening, so it's 10.45 roughly. So. Time for me to hit yeah, hey, seven hours. Yeah, All right, mate. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you have a great class tomorrow. Cheers, man. Hope you uh, have a good day tomorrow, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, man. Cheers, dude. Bye-bye.